It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. How would you like to ramp up your club's game day atmosphere? Big Screen Video is giving 10 lucky sports clubs the chance to win a $10,000 grant towards their own digital scoreboard. Register now at iCanWin.com.au slash BSV. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Thank you, New Zealand, for making Polaris New Zealand's number one selling side-by-side brand. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yes, good morning. No Ian Smith today, unfortunately. Smithy feeling a bit crook, unfortunately. So uh, our best wishes, Smithy. Hope you're well and back on top and back in the hot seat tomorrow. Ricardo Ball in for you today. Hey, uh, Louis uh, just asked me to... Uh, to give a shout out to Ryan um, because they uh, they missed the opportunity to do it. But Ryan, congratulations! You won the two degrees pack uh, for your tech, so uh, well done, uh, Ryan. Just getting the housekeeping done uh, for for the breakfast boys um, because uh, they uh, they had to jet out pretty quickly. But uh, coming up on the show up next, actually uh, up shortly, uh, Justin Marshall, of course, former All Black. And a proud crusader. Uh, I do the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run with him every Sunday from 1 till 3 here on SENZ. He's going to join us to talk that Super Rugby Final and what a dominating display it was from his crusaders as well. We'll talk to him about that and get your questions as well. If you've got a question for Marshy, 0800 150 811. 0800 150 811 or 8833 is the Temper Bedpost text machine. Get your questions in and we will get Marshy answering a bunch of those. At 9.30, former New Zealand swim coach Mark Bone is going to join us. Now, swimming's governing body, FINA, have voted today to restrict the participation of transgender athletes in elite women's competitions and have created a working group to establish an open category for them in some events for as part of its new policy. Okay, so what they've said is, like, if you are a transgender athlete, you can no longer compete against women, but we're not going to lock you out completely. We're going to start an open category at FINA events. So we'll get Mark Bone to talk to us about that, get his take on that, someone who's been uh, not only a national swim coach but also an administrator as well. Coming up after 10 o'clock, Casey Frank, the former tall black and basketball commentator, is going to join us. We're going to talk the uh, New Zealand sells NBL round eight. Uh, see, the Saints had another loss yesterday to the Franklin Bulls. They really are struggling. We'll talk to Casey about that. Uh, a couple of Breakers players who are in the NBA draft this Friday as well in the uh, Golden State Warriors getting up over the Celtics in Game 6. We'll catch up with him on all of that. The panel today, after uh, t- around 10.20, is Guy Havelt, who's another punishing Crusaders fan. Um, so we'll get him and Jamie Wall, a voice of reason from uh, from Poneki. Um, so we'll get those two guys on talking uh, Super Rugby Warriors and, uh, and Black Ferns, amongst other things. Um, also, after 11 o'clock... The man himself, the voice of rugby league, Andrew Voss, joins us out of SEN uh, Sydney. We'll talk to him about the Warriors losing to the Panthers, uh, coming home and 
Origin 2 and the International Weekend as well. Your chance to play Stumped with me as well around 11.30 uh, and we'll catch up with Staff uh, after he's had two weeks off, see what he's been up to on a super yacht. Uh, we'll do that just before uh, midday here on Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. But a reminder, uh, just about to be joined by Justin Marshall, 0800 150 Got a question for Marshy? Give us a call, 0800 150 811 or text us on the Temper Bedpost text machine, double eight double three. Seven past nine here on Mornings with Smithy on SENZ. Ricardo Ball in for Smithy, who's a bit under the weather at the moment, unfortunately. A bloke who's on top of the world, though, joins us out of uh, Marshall Towers in Queenstown. Justin Marshall, how are you, sir? Good morning, Ricardo. Good morning to everybody tuning in. Uh, Yes, no, it's been a pretty successful weekend if you're a supporter of the Crusaders franchise. But has it what? Uh, I mean, I don't remember a more dominant final display in a long time. They, I mean, a Blues team that had made uh, so many forward strides this season. They'd won, what, 16 on the trot. Uh, they were dominating breakdowns. They were going forward. They were playing attacking rugby. They just got throttled by this Crusaders outfit. Yeah, look, there's no doubt that the fact of... Um you know, it was a really entertaining week. It, it was basically the people's final, the final everyone wanted to see. Uh, the fact that it was at Eden Park was well-deserved. The Blues had quite comfortably cemented themselves at the top of the table. They, they were certainly the team to beat. Um, so they deserved to have home ground advantage for the game. Um, so it made that sort of task for the Crusaders slightly more of an obstacle to be able to have to go to Eden Park and, and try and win a final there. Um, hadn't hadn't been able to do that in a long time. Uh, in fact, I was a victim of I think the last time the Crusaders went to Eden Park for a final. Um, so that wasn't very that wasn't very pleasant in 2003. So yeah, look, the, the script was well well and truly formulated, wasn't? It? And um, it didn't play out the way I guess that many thought it would. And uh, you know, and across the country, I think uh, the the country was probably crying out to see new champions being crowned, maybe the start of a new era, uh, but the Crusaders had other plans, mate, big time. Yeah, they, they did, and they executed those plans well. Um, now, I have put the uh, the the call out for people to call in or text in questions for you, Marshy, given that me and you chewed the fat about this for two hours yesterday, so I thought we'd get some, some fresh takes, and we'll do that in a minute, but I, I did want to get uh, your take on... Uh, something that's been in the news, and, and it really it takes away from the performance, which is a pity, but I think it needs to be addressed. Um, 
Scott Robertson's celebratory uh, breakdancing. Uh, I have no issue with it at all, other than he needs to uh, learn some new moves. Uh, otherwise, I, I find it quite entertaining. But he has copped a bit of criticism. I've seen a few people saying if he wants to be All Blacks coach, he has to stop that sort of stuff because you, if you can't take yourself seriously, the, nobody else is going to. Um, what's your take on that? Oh, look, I think it's probably just unnecessary media, really, isn't it? Or people uh, whinging for, for no real reason. Um, you know, that, that, that's not anything to do with uh, what's happened in the season and what's happened in the game. The fact that uh, Razor used to do it as a player within the Crusaders um, organisation, uh, and then obviously it's something that flowed onto his coaching. Uh, look, at the end of the day, he could do it in the changing room. If people take umbrage with it and are going to react in that way, he'll probably just do it in there. But what it is, is and they, and they don't realise. And again, they don't realise it because they they probably don't know the, the, the reason for success. It's part of the Crusaders' culture. That, that, that no one's above the team. You know, everybody have their quirky little idiosyncrasies and those little idiosyncrasies are encouraged. And that's why whatever culture you are or wherever you come from, whatever background, that you have, that's embraced in that Crusaders culture. And it doesn't matter whether you're the head coach or you're a player that only gets one game or 10 minutes of the season. Um, you, you still have the ability to be an individual and be yourself. And that's a big part of why the Crusaders are so, so successful because they allow people to be able to be individuals within a team environment. So, uh, look, uh, at the end of the day, that's not something that uh, Scott Robertson will take to, through to the All Blacks because... That's a different culture, and that's a different set of um, players that, uh, that that he would take control of. So, yeah, look, people are entitled to the opinion, but that's my two cents worth on the whole situation. Yeah, mate, I think so. I think it's, it's um, set up quite well. If uh, the only place you can ever dig at a team has been as dominant as the Crusaders is what how their coach celebrates, and you've uh, probably just yeah. a little bit bitter and need to look in the mirror, but just uh, just quietly, mate. But um, we, let, let's, let, let's yeah. get a couple of calls on. Uh, I know Dean's been waiting for a while. Dean is in Dunners, but is uh, very much in the red and black. Dino, you got a question for Marshy? Yeah, mate. Who are Razor Ray? Just perfect. The guy is absolute gold, but it's not him. It's the whole thing. Everything that that franchise club, whatever you want to call it, does is just that. It's just all blacks, mate. It's it's what New Zealand rugby used to be, if I'm allowed to say that. Now, Justin, I've got a question for you. Odin Barrett, for me, going into that game, he's our starting 10. And then I, because of more Richie's defence, I just thought, oh, but nah, damn it. Like, Bowden, I love him. You cannot love him, but he gets his golf handicap down. Like, he needs to just flag the golf clubs, you're the all-black number 10, you've got to kick the goals because jigging the whole back line around to get a goal kicker in so you can play 10 is no good. So now, after that performance, I'd, honestly, I'd put black jerseys on the whole Crusaders' back line with Aaron at halfback, Christie coming off the bench. Now, he's just a little diamond, that little bugger. Like, he's just, and he's a, they should call him Foxy. He's just a wee terrier. Like, he's nipping at the heels all day. And that's what you want. Well, he's nothing like you. You're a brute. But he's just a, he's different, you know? And I love Fokatava, but he, he's just way too wee bit. And the same for RTS. Like I said to Smithy last week, that, you know, really, for me, RTS stands for really too soon. Like he would be better off playing a bit of NPC and 
getting his head around it. Like, I suppose in the all-black coaching group, you've got the best of the best all around you. But for me, an all-black's already good. You know, you shouldn't be learning to be an all-black. You should be the best. Like, Nankable, it just can't take a contract overseas. He's played the house down and gets shot in the bum. Like, but that's for me, Richie now, I'd start the lot of them. I, honestly, after watching that, I would start the lot of them. And in the front row for the all-black, I've got no idea, mate. I'm not a prop. I've never been a prop. I wouldn't have a clue what goes on in there. But I've, I've seen enough, watched enough to see the, the Auckland front row get puzzled three weeks in a row. And you've got reserves coming on from the Crusaders and absolutely buckling who they say their best whatever, loose head, tight head prop, and Carl Nufiaki, whatever. Great guy. Like, maybe some money when he's got to try once. But really? Wow. Oh, there we go. Uh, uh, Dino, thanks very much for your call. It was, I, did, I don't know if there was a question in there, mate, but I, I reckon he'd be a good underwater diver, Marshy, because he didn't take a breath. Um, but, but, <laughs> uh, but, you know, uh, Dean's take on, on that back line, uh, you know, no, uh, put Aaron Smith in the nine jersey and then uh, Crusaders from 10 to 15. What do you think? Oh, look, I certainly feel when you have a, a final and you have 22 All Blacks out there and match-ups across the board, a team that's so dominant is always going to come out looking uh, super shiny and, and glossy, aren't they? Simply because they've dominated possession, they've dominated the game. So because of that, it's very easy then just to flip everything around and go, right, oh, well, you know, they're all the best players and this is the, the formula that we need. Um, but, you know, like the All Blacks are at a different stage. Um, you're talking, you know, a higher, higher level of rugby and, and Players who are in form and have had a good season don't all of a sudden become poor players just because in a big game I've been slightly off because there's so much more to it. You know, there's there's the coaching element, there's the game plan, um, there's conditions, um, and also there's just the bounce of the ball on the day as well. So a, a one-off performance doesn't, I don't think, uh, allow people to lose a massive amount of ground simply because they have an off day. Um, there's certainly no doubt about the fact that Richie Moonga uh, in that game when he was talking the, the comparison with Bowden Barrett, um, you know, was getting front foot ball. Uh, that forward pack of the Crusaders was delivering such quality balls. They won the breakdowns quite clearly throughout the game. So because of that, Bryn Hall, Moonga, Havili are all going to look a lot better because they're not dealing with static ball. Leon McDonald said that after the game. He said, look, they just stifled us. They slowed us down at source. We weren't able to get any forward momentum. So all of a sudden, Bowden Barrett, Roger Tuivasa, Sheik, Rico Iwani can't get into the game. Mark Talia can't get into the game because that source is where the big problem is. Um, but, you know, in saying that, you, you do have to start the games, and I certainly think that the likes of Leicester Fying Anuku, David Harvelli, who we're matching up against their counterparts, um, would have put good vibes into the All Black selectors' minds and equally showing that we have a lot of form players in the country right now, which is going to make selecting that test team very difficult, which puts New Zealand rugby in a good place. That's what we've got to start thinking about now. Yeah, no, you're right, mate. Uh, we've got Brendan on the line as well, and we'll get to you, Brendan, in a second, mate. Just before we do, though, uh, I like this text. is coming from Jim in Tamuka. Uh, Marshy, did you do a short video or call uh, as a past Crusaders player to the squad, and what wisdom did you pass on? Um, yes, I did actually. Uh, so the, I got a couple of messages just to um, see whether or not I'd be uh, able to send the boys a message, which I well and truly wanted to do. Um, you, you do feel humbled when you get messages like that, and you're very aware that you want to make make it, make it concise and brief. 
Um, but to the point, um, so yeah, my message just was, uh, you know, that, that, that uh, being in finals rugby is what, what Crusaders are renowned for and it's what they do. And when they get to finals, they, they perform at a level that uh, enhances where they've been historically before, you know, and, and it's in your DNA to go out there and win finals. And, um, you know, that was very, very much a big part of my messaging, but also... I did say to them, and I was standing by, you know, a couple of my Crusaders memorabilia when I was doing it, that, uh, you know, you play a lot of rugby in your life, and they all will do that in their careers. But that time in that red and black jersey with those group of guys, uh, you remember those experiences a lot more than a, a lot more than others. So make the most of them when you get them. Um, you know, that carpe diem type thing. So, yeah. And then there was a few few words uh, that I couldn't say on radio as well. Just the, final, <laughs> the final little message. <laughs> quality, quality. Brendan's with us on 0800 811. Brendan, have you got a question for Marshy? Yeah, morning, I certainly do. But just one quick thing on Razor A first. I'm, I'm from Canterbury. We watched the game. I loved it. But um, a lot of people, where I was, I was at an 18th birthday party and uh, a lot of people were partying, obviously, not really watching the rugby. But when the Crusaders won, everyone hung around that TV waiting for Razor to dance. And it's, it's outstanding. And people say he doesn't take it seriously. They frickin' won. That's how he takes it seriously. He prepared that team, and they went out and did a job. And that's proof of how serious he takes his job, so then people can go to hell. But uh, my question is, RTS, and I love that really too soon, does Marshy really believe that he's all black quality? That's what I want to know. Yeah, Brendan, well said on, on the dancing. Um, you know, I certainly agree with you, and uh, I'm absolutely in the, in the same camp as you in that respect. Uh, yeah, look, I, I certainly have been reasonably vocal on the fact that I'm not convinced that um, he's played enough rugby to be an all-black just yet. Um, I certainly think there's a massive amount of potential there. Uh, you know, I, I'm not convinced we've experimented with him enough. You know, like, uh, let's face it, as a rugby league player, he's an outside back. And when he was in space and had time on the ball and space in front of him, was when he was un- able to unleash his speed, his uh, footwork, and-, and beat players. Now, there's a lot more congestion and a lot more traffic where he's playing at 12. So, you know, I, I-, I don't know why we've just all of a sudden gone and thrown him in the 12 jersey and said, he's a 12. But who the hell knows that? Like, who made that decision? So... I certainly think that there's an opportunity which I believe the All Blacks have taken to get him in an All Black environment, get him around the best players in the country uh, and, and improve his skill set but also improve his rugby brain so that he gets awareness into the game as to how he can best benefit the team and best benefit his individual skills. But again, I will bang this drum a little bit. Why don't they give him a go playing in the outside backs like on the wing and see whether or not that gives him more space and time to unleash those really unique skills that he's got. But in answering to your question in a nutshell, Brennan, no, I'm not sure yet, but I certainly feel that he is worth the experiment and worth getting into the all-black environment. Yeah, good stuff, Brennan. Thanks very much for your call. Uh, we'll go straight to Dax, who's also out of Christchurch. Funny, Marshy, all these calls coming out of Christchurch. I don't know why that <laughs> is, but uh, uh, Dax, good morning. you got a question for Marshy. Yeah, just, yeah, I'm not sure I agree um, with that about I do agree that too early that he probably shouldn't have been picked, but I mean, Sonny Bill Williams was a loose board in, in league and came to um, 
rugby and was in the back, so I think two of us are shit. The midfield back is going to be anywhere. It's not his fault, but he missed the NPC last year, so he probably needs to play an NPC before he gets in there. Um, but, yeah, I'm also going to disagree on um, you can have a one-off um, game where you don't perform that well. Look, I think everyone knew that that was an all-back trial um, on Saturday, and if you look at the top end of sport, whether it'll be Novak Djokovic or a basketball team or, or whatever, and State of Origin is a good example. If you look at State of Origin compared to the rest of it, it's the amount of mistakes that are made, and they make minimal amount of mistakes. And in that game in the weekend, a lot of their players made mistakes. And I'd be very interested. I don't know if you guys have got the contact information, but whatever that number of All Black squad that was picked, it'd be really nice not to name names because that would be unfair, but it'd be really nice to get a number from Scott Robinson to see how many different players that he would have had if he had to pick that All Black squad compared to what um, Ian Foster picked. Because I think if you're an All Black supporter, you're probably a little bit worried about the moment with some of the, some of the things um, that have been happening in Super Rugby and some of the players that he's picked. Yeah, look, um, it's interesting. You've got you've got some good points. Uh, again, I'll, I'll agree to disagree on, on the likes of two of us, Sheik and others, but um, I'm certainly still going to stay by my statement about um, a one-off performance. Um, I've certainly been in an environment where I've been amongst great All Blacks and I've been in a Crusaders team um, that has been beaten in a final. Uh, and we haven't performed on the day yet. We've had a fantastic season. And I would hate to be judged on that one-off game as to look at my teammates and all of a sudden they're not worthy of being All Blacks or they're not worthy of being um, you know, uh, in, in that jersey simply because they've had a bad day at the office. Um, sometimes the opposition formulate a way to conspire to beat you and they do it immaculately um, but uh, I certainly feel that in terms of the All Blacks the players that have been picked uh, are all justified, we're all going to bait certain positions, there's no doubt about that, you know front row's a big one Lucy's a big one um, um, but that's good and it's healthy because it shows that we've got depth but uh, no, I'm certainly going to stick by the fact that I don't believe players all of a sudden become bad players just because in a final, they've, uh, they've been beaten and probably outplayed by their opposite. Yeah, good stuff. Thanks very much for your call, Dex. Hey, Marsha, uh, we, we, we've got to wrap it pretty much uh, here, but just one more before we go, um, and this is something only you can answer. What is so special about the culture at the Crusaders? I'm a Highlanders fan, but, can deny, uh, but can't deny that most players that end up at the Crusaders end up thriving. Cheers, Moose. Yeah, look, simply... You know, the Crusaders' recipe for success uh, was, was built way back in, in 1998 um, around coping with adversity, coping with probably not having the firepower and X factor of other, other teams and other uh, franchises. Um, and so it was that mentality of work rate, and gritting your teeth and going out there and, and working hard for your teammates and getting yourself up and getting yourself up after you've made tackle after tackle after tackle. And I think that's been ingrained in the Crusaders, um, that, that that is the way that they work. It doesn't matter whether or not you've got all the razzle-dazzle in the world. If you don't go out there and, and be prepared to do those hard yards um, as a Crusader and do those hard yards on the training field, all of that comes into it. You, you'll get left behind. And your teammates make you very accountable for that. They don't like people who feel that they are better than their teammates and they don't like players that feel that they deserve 
to be in the jersey. You've got to earn the jersey every single training run. And if you let yourself down in that area, you'll find yourself very much on the outer. I think it's one thing that the Crusaders have always had in their DNA. Uh, and the other side of it is, you know, protecting that history. You know, there's been some great Crusaders in the past. There's an immaculate record of finals rugby, um, of the success rate there. And the players that run out in semi-finals and finals are very well aware that they have to enhance where the jersey's been before and continue to work towards winning finals. And that creates a massive edge, a massive edge. So history plays a big part as well. It does indeed. Marshy, thanks very much for your time, mate. I know you've had a massive weekend of travel and call and shows, and you've got another one tonight from 7 in the red from 7 for a whole hour wrapping up the Crusaders season, mate. So I really appreciate your time this morning. Go well and have a good show tonight. Well, Ricardo. Thanks for having me on. Cheers, Any time, brother. Any time. Justin Marshall there with us uh, talking Crusaders. It is 27 past nine. Yeah, no Smithy this morning, unfortunately, under the weather. So hopefully he will be uh, back on top for you tomorrow. Ricardo Ball in through till midday today. Uh, running a little late for our half-hour news with Aroha, but we'll get there shortly. Just a couple of texts to get through here. Uh, this from George. Ricardo, I agree more with Marshy's comments. It's all about the team culture and being accountable to your teammates. If you don't put in the right attitude from George. Uh, yeah, thanks, George. I uh, really appreciate your text. This one from Justin. Uh, well, well said, Justin Marshall. Nice to hear. It'd be nice to hear from Zaid in Auckland this morning to get his thoughts. Uh, well, Justin, I can tell you that Zaid has texted through. And Zaid says, Hi, it's Zaid here. I don't like Scott Robertson's dancing. I hate it because I'm a Blues fan. But we played absolute crap. Well, you, you, you're right on one thing there, Zaid. The thing I don't get about people hating on Razor's dancing. Why? Why do you hate on Razor's dancing? It's a celebration of a season. Not a, it's not like he does it every... If he did it after every win, maybe. But... You know, the bloke's gone through a whole season uh, of the possibly the toughest rugby comp in the world and got his team to win for a fifth time in a row. Uh, so let him blow off some steam. Let him celebrate how he sees fit. I think I don't see any harm in it personally. It is 27 away from 10 o'clock. When uh, uh, we come back from news and sport, Mark Bone, ex-Swim New Zealand coach, is going to be with us to talk about this new FINA uh, decision that has just come out overnight. Let's go to Araha now with the latest in news and sport. This is Mornings with Smithy on SENZ. Ricardo Ball in for Smithy, who's under the weather today. We are 24 away from 10, and this happened overnight. Uh, swimming's governing body, FINA, has made an historic decision to ban transgender athletes from competing in elite women's races, but with a bombshell twist that could change international sport forever, as well as making a landmark ruling that only biological women can compete in female events. FINA has also proposed separate open races that will cater for transgender athletes who don't fit into the traditional gender categories. The watershed decision, passed by a vote of the FINA Congress in Budapest, will send shockwaves through the sports world, putting pressure on other sports in their slipstream while triggering an avalanche of support. Uh, that, that is from the Daily Telegraph reporting on this. I, I can't help but think that FINA, they, the group they put together was a mixture of scientists, former athletes and administrators to look at all the options and this is what they've come up with. Uh, joining us now is former New Zealand swim coach Mark Bone. Mark, when you heard this news, uh, what was your reaction? To be honest, uh, I was absolutely delighted because I think that for the one of the few times, FINA's actually made an appropriate decision and a leading decision that will actually put pressure on all sports now to address this issue that should have been addressed many years ago. 
uh, as, as people, you know, became more aware of uh, particularly males transgendering over to being females and the unfairness associated with it. So I think that what they've done is come out with a, a report that has looked at it from a litigation point of view, from a scientific point of view, and actually it's a really, really well-documented report that I think ultimately FINA have adopted and said, look, we're prepared to stand up here and put some pressure on other sports and ban these athletes that are wanting to transgender, but we recognise that they have every right to transgender, but we'll put them into their own category, and which is an open category. Yeah, and I, I think, Mark, that this is uh, a really open-minded decision because, I mean, you're looking after your female athletes uh, on one hand who, you know, there have been, I know, a lot who have been unhappy uh, at this situation with the, where, where transgender athletes um, can compete with female athletes because a lot of those transgender athletes who have transitioned from male to female have gone through male adolescence and have those built-in, uh, I guess you would say, natural advantages of, being, of, of going through male adolescence. I know Sharon Davies and Karen Pickering are two of them that have been quite critical of it. So... It, it keeps the female athletes happy and, and, and does the right thing by them. But at the same time, it's inclusive because they're saying, hey, we're not going to cut you out. We'll just create a new category for you. Yeah, look, I think that's a really good point because you look at the, the likes of Leah Thomas, who swims out of, um, I think it was Penn State University in the, uh, over in the United States, originally swam for the university as a male, mm. uh, has gone transgender, is now winning everything in the female category and has had massive, massive advantages of testosterone development over the years, physiologically and biomechanically, massive advantages. Uh, bone density is greater. So I think we've got to recognise that the science is now needs to be to the forefront in looking at what, what we're going to do going forward for the future. So it is a really good move. Look, end of the day, we, we don't swim 15-year-olds uh, versus 10-year-olds if we want to make it a fair playing field. We've got all of these different categories with para, the Paralympics. So, you, you know, you don't swim a blind athlete against the one other athlete that is just missing a small limb. You know, you've got to make sure that you've got the various categories. And there has to be a point where you go, how many categories do we have? But the transgender is a small minority in the total population, but we should not exclude them. We should actually involve them. And I think what FINA is advocating and moving forward is a really good decision. Is the Olympics the place for them? Possibly not. Is it a separate part of the para sort of federation? Possibly. I'm not sure. I think that's a debate. But I think that as long as we don't exclude them, yeah, I think uh, I think that's um, that's a fair point. It'll be interesting to see what does happen from here. I don't know that uh, that saying because you're transgender that you're in the para games. I don't know that that's going to go down with the trans. How well that'll go down with the transgender community. You can see those arguments already. But what I did like uh, from FINA, what this decision has done, Mark, is it has put the uh, the emphasis on other sports, but not just other sports, but other organisations. Because FINA have said, hey, you can come and swim in a FINA event in an open category. Oh, you can't go to the Olympics and swim in an open category? Well, that's not on us. That's up to the IOC. That's correct. Absolutely. And, you know, you, you, probably the most pertinent point is that it's putting pressure on other sports. You know, the International Cycling Union, they have going to now have to address what they have done because they said a four-year stand-down period, I think it was originally, and they brought it back to two years 
uh, from what I understand. And they're going to now have to address this as FINA is putting pressure on them. You look at the, well, for example, Laurel Hubbard in the, um, at the Olympics uh, last year. You know, there's going to be real uh, pressure now on all sports to actually address what they're doing with the transgender. I mean, I've always looked at this in a very simplistic way. If Usain Bolt or Michael Phelps suddenly decided that they were going to be transgender and then went into women's sport, you imagine the records, the world records that, that they would create. And nobody would ever get near them. There would be a massive outcry. But that's the extreme. I'm not suggesting for a moment that uh, Michael Phelps or, or Usain Bolt are going to come out as transgender. But just think about the consequences of that. And I think that's a that's a fair point. I mean, Mark, how many swimmers? I don't know. I, I know you're you're involved in swimming here still. You're not the national coach anymore, but you're still involved. How many transgender athletes uh, do we have that could be uh, sort of approaching the top end of our of our swim ranks here at the moment? And how much of an impact do you think it'll have in New Zealand? Look, to be honest, in New Zealand, I, I haven't seen any at all in the top ranks and uh, you know our top ranks are a little bit away from the international ranks a little at the moment anyway although you know having said that I'd like to give a shout out to Lewis Clearbert finishing fourth at the world championships in his favorite event the 400 medley just uh, two days ago so that was a great result but after Lewis I mean you know we're struggling a little bit so do we have any the question was do we have any transgender not any at the moment that are coming forward um, and, and that doesn't mean that it's not going to happen. And I think what we've got now is the fact that we've got a decision uh, and it's been a well-judged and well-weighed-up decision, and that's the positive, so that we know exactly where we go going forward. I mean, what, ultimately, this decision should have been made, I, I think, four or five years ago, but it's taken a long time and a lot of debate, and thankfully we've got a decision now. Yeah, we have got a decision, and uh, you know I think uh, FINA are only the second sport to to make a, uh, a hard decision on this and, and and put a stake in the ground behind. I think rugby sevens have done it uh, as well, which makes sense given it's such a contact sport. But uh, uh, how long do you think it'll be before we see some of the uh, other athletic sports uh, follow suit? Oh, I, th- I think they'll have to. Uh, I think that they'll be looking at this decision by FINA. They'll look at the reaction by athletes. Um, and, and, of course, there's always going to be a reaction. But I also would like to commend Dr Dave Gerrard, uh, our own New Zealand um, representative, who's always been um, proactive uh, in, in speaking out about uh, the transgender generation or transgender athletes being able to compete on an equal playing field. And he's been very critical of it. And Dave, Dr. Dave Gerard has been on the FINA Medical Committee. Uh, he's been actually the chair of the FINA Medical Committee. And I think that, you know, we actually should look at also uh, what he has said about it in the past and the research that he's put into it. In fact, I shouldn't just call him Dr. Dave Gerard, Professor Dave Gerard. Yeah, I mean, it is fantastic that, um, you know, we've got a Kiwi sort of at the forefront of all of this, and it'd be great to talk to him at some point, because I'm sure he can give us some insight that neither you or I are qualified to give, Mark. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Look, you know, we can only do uh, our own research in it and look at it and look what the experts are actually coming out. It's an emotive argument either way, and uh, it's it's certainly going to polarise some views. But I'm actually really pleased with this decision. I think it's a logical one and one that's going to actually create a, a level playing field.
Yeah, looking forward to uh, to hearing more about this, uh, Mark, and seeing it go forward. And I, I no doubt uh, there will be uh, plenty of athletes who will celebrate this decision. Thanks very much for your time, mate. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Cheers, Mark Bone there, former New Zealand swim coach with us here. If you've missed that story, uh, FINA, the world governing body of swimming, has made their historic decision to ban transgender athletes from competing in elite women's races, but they will, in some FINA competitions, have a separate open category for transgender athletes to compete in. 0800-150-811 is our number. Double eight double three is the temper bedpost text machine. If you've got something on that, still got plenty of rugby texts to get through as well. We'll do those before 10 o'clock here on Mornings with Smithy on SENZ. It's nine away from ten here on SENZ Mornings with Ian Smith. Smithy under the weather today, unfortunately. Hopefully he's back on top tomorrow. But you can still uh, get your text through to us here on double eight double three. That is the Temper Bedpost text machine. Temper Bedpost, like no other, a range of mattresses and adjustable bases that adapt to the exact shape of your body so you can put your head and feet up in comfort. I had a couple of great texts through. This one from Jeff the Ref. Morning, guys. Uh, referee Ben O'Keefe was also impressive, allowed the game to flow. His composure around the tackle head contacts and working through the mitigations, which resulted in no yellow cards or no red cards, were on the money. Yeah, Jeff, I could not agree with you more. I thought what we saw from Ben O'Keefe is something that World Rugby need to look at for their referees because what he did was showed clear common sense. They were rugby collisions that were nobody's fault. Uh, particularly the first one, I think it was George Bauer and Nipo Laulala clashed heads. He recognised that George Bauer, while he had the ball, was bent at the waist at about almost 90 degrees uh, and not looking up with his head down. And Nipo Laulala, where where else can he go to tackle George Bauer? He yeah. can't. And, and, and so it's an accidental head clash. As a result, we've seen that in the past being a yellow card. Yeah, I, I mean, he showed a lot of compassion for the players, and I, I know Marshy said that yesterday on on the uh, rugby run as as well. But then the second one uh, between Goodhue and uh, Tuivasa Sheik, same kind of thing. He he took that same approach, and you know, showed a lot of common sense. And you could hear, you know, the commentary on Sky Sports say, "Oh, you know, great officiating." Actually, yeah, sort of took it, you know. The thing that I noticed is that he asked for real-time replays, not just slow down inch by inch. I want to show it again to me in real time. Yeah. So he was looking at it from both ways. And, you know, any time you slow something down that much, it's going to look bad. Yeah. But uh, the only really question I had is why didn't Goodhue or RTS go off for HIA? Well, I thought Goodhue definitely should have gone off for an HIA because he looked out. When when he when when they clashed heads, you know, and I you know I think you're exactly right, and I think Ben O'Keefe, you know, referees get uh, a lot of stick um, for decisions, but I think that was a clear example of a referee doing something that not a lot of referees are feel able to do, and that's just use common sense because they feel like they have to let uh, referee to the letter of the law, otherwise they are going to be censured by the powers that be. So it was uh, good to see that from Ben O'Keefe. Keep your texts coming through. Double eight double three is the temper bedpost text machine. We're a minute away from 10 o'clock here on SENZ. Coming up in the next hour, Casey Frank is going to join us. We're going to talk New Zealand NBL. We're going to talk uh, the Breakers having a couple of players in this Friday's NBA draft and the Golden State Warriors winning the NBA championship in Game 6 on Friday as well. Plus the panel with Jamie Wall and Guy Havelt. Uh, all that and more coming up in the next hour. Another text we've just had through. Top of the morning to you, Ricardo. Uh, just reference the breakdancing. I'm not a Crusaders fan, and I've never liked them. 
But as for Raiders Dance, people need to have a day off. It's a bit of fun. Have a great day, Steve-O and Mott. Yeah, well said, Steve-O. Give the bloke a break. Um, Brennan's asking if we can get Ken on the phone and asking if he's okay. I don't think we'll hear from Ken this week, to be fair. I think he's probably hurting more than most of us. But, uh, yeah, as a Blues fan, I can understand that. This is Mornings with Ian Smith. Thank you, New Zealand, for making Polaris New Zealand's number one selling side-by-side brand. Yeah, three past ten here on Mornings with Ian Smith. Smithy, unfortunately, uh, not feeling too well today, so Ricardo Ball in the hot seat for him. Hopefully Smithy's back on top tomorrow, and uh, he can give you his thoughts on that Super Rugby final, amongst other things. Also, I see nine o'clock tomorrow morning, the Black Caps announce their uh, white ball squad uh, going forward as well. That'll be for, I think, games in Ireland and the Netherlands before they come home, and Scotland as well. Uh, coming up this hour, Guy Havelt and Jamie Wall are going to join us uh, as part of the panel and we're going to catch up with Louis Herman Watt as well and Paul Mawadi from the TAB. All of that to come right now though. Time to talk basketball with uh, former Tall Black, Breaker, basketball commentator, part of the Hoopheads team here on SENZ Wednesday nights from 9 to 10 as well. It is Casey Frank. Good morning, Casey. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me this morning, Ricardo. Hey, mate, any time, any time. Let's talk sales NBL round eight. Uh, and you know uh, how much I love a dog, mate, an underdog. Uh, great to see the Manawatu Jets going on a bit of a run. They uh, got up over the Rams on the road and then got up over the Sharks on the road. Man, that's a, that's a tough road trip for a team like the Jets to go and get two Ws on. Uh, really impressive uh, outing by them. And, and not only is it this road double, it was last weekend's road double as well. So this is four on the trot for a team that many, uh, including myself, picked to be at the bottom of the barrel. And they are playing extremely well right now. They found a style that has slowed down the pace. They're being really patient with the ball. And they're using John Bohan and their import as sort of a point forward, a la Nikola, Nikola Jokic. Uh, and he's really facilitating well from that center position, rebounding at the same time. Uh, their imports are carrying the offensive load, but they're getting timely contributions. And it's really great to see a team uh, that was expected not to really be a competitor right there in the mix for the finals. Yeah, fantastic to see them uh, doing what they're doing, mate. But on the, on the flip side of that, and it's something we've talked about on Hoopheads, uh, the two teams who have dominated uh, the Sells NBL over the last 10 or 12 years, the Wellington Saints and the Southland Sharks, are the bottom two teams in the comp. Uh, what do you think is going on? I know the Saints started without all their imports uh, to start with, but, man, they have uh, lost two again this weekend, and they, they look like a team that fades in the second half of games. They led against the Bulls, and I think they led against the Giants as well going into the half, but ended up getting well beaten by, uh, by the Bulls yesterday. And, and pipped by the Giants on Friday. Yeah, this is uh, the other half of parity. <laughs> when, when, when those wins for the bottom half of the table got to come from somewhere, and they're coming from uh, two of the, cha- the, the competition stalwarts over the last few years. Uh, you look at the Wellington Saints, and, and I, I see what they were doing when they were putting their roster together. They have a really versatile roster with uh, big forwards who can play sort of bigger than their position or smaller, and Xavier Cooks, Jordan Nantai, Thane Samuel and Tom Vodanovich, but unfortunately that's caused mismatches defensively, and on the defensive end, it just has not been good enough. Uh, they, in the half court, they are really struggling to contain penetration. Uh, I think import Mike Smith has struggled against some of the import level guards, and conversely to that poor defense, they're just not, they're being very careless with the basketball. They're, they're turning the ball over in spurts. I think yesterday's game against uh, the Franklin Bulls, I believe it was a 38-point turnaround. They were up 17. They end up losing by 19 or up 19, end up losing by 17, something like that. But, you know, that that kind of difference in the game 
it really has to do with turnovers. You have a lead like that. If you take care of the basketball and just do your job the rest of the way, you'll be okay. But unfortunately, they're hot early shooting was matched late by Corey Webster, who's just been on a tear since he's come back to the competition uh, last week. Yeah, so the Saints are three and seven. Uh, the only team worse than them is the Southland Sharks, who I also mentioned who have uh, been dominant. They are two and eight, but they've, they've gone through some adversity. The Southland Sharks, and you know, uh, you got a thoughts got to be with their coach, who's uh, had a horrific run of luck, hasn't he? Uh, it's really unfortunate for the Sharks. I, I think. Uh, uh, on top of the fact that maybe uh, they needed uh, a little bit more out of the point guard position this year, which they've sort of struggled to have that team facilitate. But the, but the truth of the matter is they've just been devastated by COVID. They've had multiple runs of that go through the team, uh, taking out the coaching staff at different times. And, of course, this story that's emerged uh, publicly that I think uh, people around the basketball scene knew a few weeks ago that, you know, Rod Beveridge had gone home uh, just for a, a, fa- a family outing. His daughter was celebrating her, his, her 21st, so he had went back to Australia uh, to celebrate that, caught COVID on the trip in isolation, and fall off, fell off a six-meter roof. And I laugh because it's, it's just so shocking. Uh, but he, somehow he was able to survive that, but will be gone for the rest of the season. And this is one of our game's you know, mo- most competent strategic minds. And to lose him is really going to lose one of the quivers or one of the arrows in the quiver that the Sharks needed to try and pull out of this. You know, you look at where they're at now. No good Don Kamenpoto for another week. Just really trying to bring in an important Deshaun Knight to mix things up and get things going quickly. But it looks like it's even if they can make a run from here, chances are it's going to be too little too late. Yeah, I mean, as Andrew Wheeler at one point, who's a you know, veteran player for them, has been there, what, nine, nine seasons, I think. He, he had to take the coaching reins at some point. Is he still involved in the coaching setup with, with Rob, no longer with the team this season? Yeah, so coach, uh, the assistant coach, uh, Leighton Haddleton, has taken over the reins uh, as Rob Beveridge continues to, to try and heal up. But, uh, yeah, in that one game, both coaches had COVID. So Andrew Wheeler uh, took, took off the plane strip, put on the coaching uniform. Now, Andrew Wheeler's still playing, but I'm sure he has uh, something to do with the coaching staff as well. Uh, he coaches uh, one of the premier junior pre- programs in, in the Invercargill area as well for Southland. Uh, so, so he's definitely in the coaching ranks. But, you know, at the time, they need all hands on deck on the playing squad as well. So it's a bit of double duty for Andrew Wheeler, I think, from here on out. Yeah, now let's talk about one of the uh, the good news stories uh, from the Sales NBL this season, Casey, and that is the Franklin Bulls. We just mentioned them. I mean, I, I was on here yesterday afternoon, had the game on in the studio. So I didn't have comms on, but I was I was looking up at the score. And, man, you talked about the turnaround in that game. That turnaround was was epic. Uh, they're not a high-scoring team, but defensively they, they seem to get it done. How impressed have you been with what the Bulls have managed to do so far this season? Yeah, early I was really impressed just by the way they had sort of changed their style. They, they'd become a, a much slower team, more deliberate, and more physical in the half court to try and prove a, a sieve-like defense from the season before. And, th- and that's had its effect. They were, they were playing solid defense. A lot of it was based on pace. So they weren't playing fast. Teams were scoring under 80, but so were they. They had trouble scoring. Uh, they just weren't able to get over that hump scoring-wise. Well, enter Corey Webster, and all of a sudden things open up just a little bit. Uh, he is just really scoring the basketball well, but I think what's uh, probably opened up a few eyes is, is the way he's facilitating and putting in a, a probably a greater level of effort at the defensive end. Uh, he seems to have a, you know, had a little bit of a mindset change as to his attitude towards the NBL, and he's locked into it. He's really giving back to the game, giving back to the youngsters on that young Franklin Bulls squad, and together with the leadership of Leon Henry, combined with some of the youth and strength and size of the likes of Anzac Rosetto, uh, Kane Bennett-Kyle, uh, these guys are playing very well. And that was without a start, a couple of starters yesterday as well for the Bulls. You know? So two starters still to come back into the mix in the next few weeks. 
and they will be looking to make a strong run home uh, based on the back of their defensive abilities and Corey Webster's uh, facilitating them scoring. Mm. I mean, they've just brought in an import for the first time as well because up until, what, last week, week before, uh, they were the only all-Kiwi squad in, in the comp. Yeah, I, I'm not quite sure what they're going to do with that because he has been brought in to make up for the loss of Denham Brook and for Jaden Bazant, who's away with the 3x3 uh, national team in France. I'm not 100% sure if he's going to be able to c- come back uh, once those players are back, but I believe he is. So they try the Al-Kiwi route, and I'll tell you what, it- it's a tough way to go. <laughs> you need a little bit of import talent occasionally. Uh, and th- th- they've brought in a guy who's got the ability to score, take some pressure off of Corey Webster on the perimeter, and Jane Bazant when they come back. And so they'll have a more of a three-headed guard lineup if they do keep him, and that will make them much more of an offensive force. A team that's been tough to pick this season, mate, has been the Canterbury Rams. Uh, I mean, they, they, they are in a playoff position, uh, in the last playoff position. They've won five, lost five. Uh, and they've got an interesting uh, run this weekend. They're away at the Sharks and then away at, I think, the Nuggets as well. So it's that uh, uh, that deep south run. Um, how do you think they're going to go? And what do you what, what's going on with the Rams this season? They're playing really inconsistent basketball. Uh, at times, physical and locked in, shooting the ball well. Uh, at other times, just really lackadaisical, uh, not looking like they're on the same page and a lack of fortitude defensively. So uh, that inconsistency is something that the coaching staff and the players really have to come correct because they're sitting there at 5-5. Five and five, But I, do, I still feel that they're play, the kind of basketball they're playing is going to give the teams like the Saints a chance to sort of pop up. The Taranaki Airs, they're sort of uh, uh, chasing that sixth spot right now to give them time to grab it. So I think they're going to have to find a, a way to score better in the half court and stay out of foul trouble, keep care of the ball. Uh, a lot of the same things that are uh, getting on top of these other teams in the losses is that it's a level of consistency that's needed from them. And no better way to get consistency than two wins in a weekend on the road. That would be huge for them. They absolutely have to beat Southland. But if they really have aspirations of uh, proving themselves and staying solidified in that top six, they're going to have to win both. Now, uh, Hawks Bay have have been on a great run of late, um, but we did see on the weekend uh, the Nuggets get up over the Tuatara, and it it does feel like uh, those two teams are definitely going to be in the finals mix. Uh, A good win for the Nuggets on the road against the Tuatara. How do they get past the Twin Towers, mate? How was it done? Well, they brought in an import uh, to replace to Jerry McCall, who's uh, gone off to chase his NBA dream and NBA Summer League. and They got, they got in Trey Boyd, uh, who, uh, a lefty who played fantastically right off the plane and has really actually picked up and ran with the ball a little bit further than where McCall left. He's as good defensively, I think a, a little bit more locked in offensively, uh, so that really helps them. And, you know, they came and with the combination of Todd Withers shooting the ball from outside and Sam McKinnon playing tough physical defense inside. They did a really nice job of limiting opportunities in Chris Johnson's last game. Rob Lowe and Chris Johnson just weren't able to get it done down the stretch. A few too many turnovers uh, for the Tuatara, who also look like a team that are maybe sliding in the wrong direction with the departure of Chris Johnson. Uh, Dan Fotu injured now possibly for the remainder of the season. So losing two starter quality players, uh, they've got some decisions to make on if they can try and bring another import, if they've got enough as it is, because uh, that game in the, against the Nuggets showed that other teams are on equal footing with them now. After you lose that kind of talent, uh, lose that loss, the Hawks are tied with them on wins, and Otago's just behind with both teams really eyeing that top two spot because you get a bye in that first round of the finals. Where's Chris Johnson gone? 
So he's gone off to play in the basketball tournament in the States that's uh, run on ESPN. It's a huge tournament with a million-dollar prize pack. Uh, he's, he's played that in the last few years, and so he, that was uh, one of his commitments before he uh, signed his contract here, very similar to last season where the, the Huskies had him for part of the year, and then he went off to do that. There is some hope that if, uh, depending on if the Tuatar get into the finals, that he'll be able to come back for that, but that remains to be seen as of now. But with a guy like that, if you can get him for a few games, yeah, you better do it because he is talented and helped take him to the top of the ladder in the time he was here. Now, speaking of guys that are uh, off to the States, uh, Hugo Besson and Usman Ding are uh, both over there for the NBA draft this Friday. What chance those these guys get drafted, and what does it mean for the breakers if they do? Well, Usman Ding is a lock. Uh, He's been invited to the green room, so he's going to be there on the night of the draft. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about him, you know, when the Breakers came and signed him. He was looking like a late first-round prospect. Well, three inches of growth and a late-season surge uh, in the LGFDL has seen him absolutely fly up draft boards. He hasn't had to work out. He hasn't gone through the pre-draft process. And the word is that he's got a promise in the late lottery. But a lot of the talent evaluators don't think he's going to last that long. It's looking quite likely he could be a top 10 pick. Uh, wow. You're looking at 8, 9, 10 for him. Uh, and I would be really surprised if he goes past Oklahoma City at 12, who loves that kind of length and athleticism. So he is almost guaranteed to be a lottery pick this year, which is a great result for the Breakers. Uh, uh, for Hugo Besson, a good prospect, but not as highly rated. There are some teams that seem to think he might be on the fringe of the, the, the early second round up there in that 32 range. Uh, out, outside of that, I think uh, it's pr- pretty widely uh, thought that he maybe just isn't quite the right player for the NBA. His uh, lack of sort of defensive ability uh, is probably going to keep him out of the draft, if not late in the second round. But if he does get drafted, it's because of that shooting ability. He has a, a real a chance to shoot the ball, be, a, be sort of a combo guard as a handler as well. Uh, regardless of that, he, he, I think uh, the second part of your question, what does it mean for the breakers? Well, it's fantastic in a lot of ways. If, if they do send guys to the NBA draft, there is a financial reward uh, because of the way the contracts are worked out. I'm not privy to the specifics, but there is uh, our buyout clauses for players that are under contract to go to the NBA. And we've already seen the Breakers sign another top-level French prospect who possibly looks even more talented than Osman Dang. So they're continuing to not only refill their coffers off the court in the bank, but also on the court with talent. And that's a fantastic thing if they continue to get this long time going. We're just looking to have it contribute to winning a little sooner rather than later. Yeah, oh, that's awesome, man. That's, uh, that's great news for the club. It'll make it easier for them to attract talent here, I, re- I, I suppose. I mean, if we, if we have these sort of results with these guys at the draft, then uh, there'll be players from, from around the world looking, going, well, here's an opportunity for us to, to showcase our talents and, and look what's happened. Yeah, absolutely, no doubt. As good as the Aussie competition is and as great a landing spot as the Breakers are, uh, every basketball player wants to play in the NBA. And if uh, top-level players see that they can come here, they can have good seasons, they can contribute to a a good club environment, a winning environment, and then to have that club help them reach their aspirations, that really is the best of both worlds and could see a pipeline of talent really just funneled to the Breakers for the near future. Good stuff, Case. Thanks very much for coming on today, bro. Uh, go well, and I'll catch up with you Wednesday night for Hoopheads, eh? 
It sounds like a plan. Appreciate the time, Ricardo. Cheers, man. Uh, Casey Frank there talking basketball with us here on Mornings with Smithy on SENZ. When we come back, it's time for the panel with Jamie Wall and Guy Havelt. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. It is 10.24 here on SENZ Mornings with Smithy. Smithy under the weather, unfortunately, so not here. But luckily, we do have uh, Jamie Wall and Guy Havelt with us. Uh, G'day, gentlemen. How are we? Yeah, very well. Thank you. Morning, morning, Ricardo. Uh, morning and congratulations, Guy. Must have been a good weekend for you, mate. <laughs> I, I, was, I was just about to say it's uh, brave of you, Ricardo, to be putting Jamie and I together. But uh, no, good sentiment from you, mate. It was a... Uh, Cracking final. Uh, I thought I thought it was a good game, uh, and um, you know the Crusaders dominated the first half. If the Blues had have got to half time six 0 down, I think it might have been a different different second half and maybe a different game. But uh, yeah, they uh, the Crusaders just dominated again, didn't they? They were clinical when it mattered, and uh, it was from a personal point of view anyway, great to watch. Yeah, well, that was the thing, wasn't it, Jamie? That the the Crusaders did so well, they just they strangled the Blues. The Blues just couldn't get any ball, and they couldn't get any front football going forward. They really throttled them in that you know the turnover situation where the Blues have been so good this year at, at winning other people's ball, they just couldn't get near it. And uh, I mean, as well as the Crusaders play, I, you know, there were people saying yesterday here, you know, the Blues didn't turn up. I don't think that's entirely true because I don't think there were too many teams that could have faced what they faced in that first half and only been third. 13-0 down at half-time. So I think defensively, they definitely showed up. They just couldn't get any ball. Yeah, you kind of hit the nail on the head there. But, I mean, I, to me, I think, and I tweeted this out um, last night and had a few people agreeing with me, I feel like the Crusaders won that game before they'd even step on the field. Mm. Um, it felt like they knew exactly what the Blues were going to do, especially at line-out time, um, and uh, obviously put in a massive effort at the scrum. Uh, and so the Blues had just had absolutely nothing to work with uh, right from the word go. And um, it was it was just amazing sitting there watching it up in the, in the media box uh, because every time the, the, the Crusaders would punch a line out, there'd just be like an audible gasp of like, how is this happening? Mm. You know, how, how are they knowing what's, what's coming? And, you know, like we were joking about it afterwards, uh, you know, but I mean, I'm sort of thinking about it now. I mean, you know, we're the Blues train. Down at Alexandra Park, there's a lot of high-rise apartments around there. <laughs> that you could you could maybe you could maybe get an Airbnb up there for a week. I'm thinking, and you know, you rent one of those out for a week. You get yourself a decent telescope or pair of binoculars or something. I don't know. I'm just putting it out there. Yeah, I'm just putting it out there. Yeah. But to be honest, I mean, you know, like that again, it's a bit of a joke. But I think what they they definitely have done is watched a hell of a lot of the film um, of the Blues. Uh, line out, and they just decided like we're just going to make this the, the the worst night of Kurt Eklund's life, unfortunately. And and he's copping a lot of blame for this. I don't think that's fair because you know the line out is a, a four man operation, um, and someone in the Blues, perhaps even Eklund himself, should have just said after about 20 minutes, like, man, let's just change this up. We need to do something just just because we're just getting absolutely pummeled here. Um, and and yeah, I just I just think that it was as a spectacle, um, it, it was just a bit of a shame. Uh, obviously, you know, congratulations to Crusaders. They obviously deserved one, and they played really really well. And it would have been a really good fun game to to play in because they are the most fun games when you know right from the start that your plan is working, and as long as you can just keep going for the whole time, you're going to win the game and you're going to win a title, and and that, that must feel really good. 
just you know, obviously from the, the crowding and everything, it, it, awesome atmosphere before kickoff, but that it just kind of got flattened out like really quickly, uh, which is a little bit of a shame. Um, and it would have been nice if the Blues could have been in it, you know, just from a neutral point of view. That uh, uh, competition this year deserved a big final, like got a big venue. It deserved a, a, a big game. Um, you know, like I said, no disrespect to the Crusaders, but I don't think people are going to be really looking back on this one with any degree of fondness um, like some of the other great great finals in the past. No, the most dominant performance by a team in red and black since last time you ran around for the uh, Paneki Senior Reserves, I'd think, probably, Jamie. Is that correct? <laughs> well, we, we're going back a few years now. Um, but, yeah, yeah we, we definitely put on some, some good ones back in the day, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Now, Guy, there's been a lot of um, people giving Razor grief about the way he celebrated. Um, I, I, where, where are you on the, on the breakdance? The only thing I can criticise him for is not having any new moves after five years. What about you? I absolutely love it. I absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Give me the floor, if you don't mind. Give me the floor. Uh, I love every second of it. I love everything about it. I think it shows the culture that that team has. I think it shows the respect that he has from his players and, and amongst that whole environment and that whole franchise. Um, I think it just shows that there's an element of enjoyment and fun in that whole team. And, you know, I'm not one of these to sit here straight away and say, make him the All Blacks coach because, um, you know, because he's the GOAT and that sort of thing. I think he'd be a great All Blacks coach, but I think that's still slightly unfair on Ian Foster, who hasn't had an easy start to his All Blacks reign. In saying that, I just think it speaks volumes to the kind of guy that, that Scott Robertson is, that, um, you know, he can do that. And I see a couple of comments from people saying that he is taking the gloss off the players and that sort of thing. Well, go and ask any of those Crusaders players if they don't enjoy seeing Razor dance around after they've won a title. I can guarantee you every single one of them would love seeing that and it would probably be a big part of their night to know that they have given that guy uh, a title and a chance to be able to do that. So, yep, um, more than happy to talk about it for the rest of the show, if you like. Uh, I bloody love it. And, of course, whenever that happens, that means that the Crusaders have won a title. So, happy day. Happy days, indeed. Uh, as, I, as I did see someone uh, pithily tweet, he's only five Super Rugby t- uh, titles away from being considered for the All Black coaching job. So, we'll, have to, uh, we'll, get, to, we'll get to that one after the latest in news and sport with Araha, which is right now. The panel. Jamie Wall and Guy Havel joining me on the panel today. And I think we can uh, all agree, Guy. And, uh, Jamie, we've talked enough Crusaders winning the Super Rugby title. Uh, so let's move on to a few other things. Uh, Black Ferns, 50-6 over the USA. They cleaned up the Canadians as well. That's third and fourth in the world in terms of the world rankings. So fourth and fifth in the world in the world rankings. Uh, does this mean the Black Ferns are back? Or we, are we not going to know until they actually play the French or the Poms again, Jamie? Yeah, I don't think we're going to know until then because, the, you know, with all due respect to the teams that came over for the Pacific Four Series, they're not fully professional teams. They they don't have the same amount of resources as England and France do. Um, clearly don't have the same resources as even the Blackfins do. Uh, so th- these were good stepping stones for the Blackfins. We saw some good stuff out of them. Um, I, I was at that game in Auckland um, last Sunday against... Uh, Canada, and one of the most pleasing aspects of that is they'd sort of dug themselves a bit of a hole at half time. They're only up 6 0 uh, with uh, a very strong breeze behind them. So, you know, it was it was looking pretty dicey um, then because Canada ha- had actually sort of 
done all right in that game. Um, and then they turned around and really flipped the switch and, and scored, I think it was, um, you know, 26 unanswered points to, to run away and win that game. And then carried on that momentum into this game on Saturday, uh, which should never have been put on at that time slot. I'm not sure what on earth they were thinking uh, because they knew the Super Rugby final was going to be that day. That game should have been moved to Sunday when you would have had a better crowd and more eyes on the TV uh, to watch it, but that's another issue. Um, uh, and they carried on that momentum, and even though they'd made, I think, half a dozen changes to the team and you had another whole run of players making their debuts, uh, everything seemed to click into place. So that was really pleasing, that, that, that they're building. You know, you can look at each game and say, well, you know, they sort of set themselves some targets in the first game, they achieved them, they set themselves some targets in the second game and achieved them, and then by the third one, it's like, yeah, now we're looking at what works what we all know and love about the Black Ferns, which is a really dominant performance and playing some pretty open and uh, running rugby, uh, despite the wet conditions, um, and big smiles on the faces and a team that's really happy to be winning. And dealing with them um, has been has been really cool. It's been awesome um, having Wayne Smith in there. I think he's brought you know a whole lot of uh, confidence. And from what I've heard, that the, the the mood in the camp is 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 very very different uh, now and and quite positive and. You know, it, I'm, I'm still not 100% convinced that they, they're going to, you know, that they can win the World Cup. But at least they're heading in the right direction now, and um, you know they've got a really good core group of players. So it's just pretty, pretty pleasing. Yeah, very pleasing. Now, to be fair, I am really surprised that we managed to get Guy Havelt on the panel today, given that we have Lydia Ko uh, at the pointy end of an LPGA tour event and the final round of the US Open on as well. But Guy, uh, we we should talk a bit of golf. I tell you what, I've I've found a new favourite player to follow. That is Grayson Murray. He uh, finished uh, 10, <laughs> 10 over for the day, 18 over for the tournament, but they uh, duff the putt, throw the putter in the long grass, retrieve it, and then snap it over your knee. Feels feels exactly like how I play golf. I was about to say, welcome to my world, Grayson Murray. Um, yeah, uh, quite quite the show from him, uh, especially when you're when you're so far last and you know you're not you're not really playing for a lot at that stage. Uh, but what a tournament it's been uh, this US Open. Just quickly, actually. Lydia Ko finishing one shot uh, outside the playoff on the LPGA Tour. Uh, another incredibly strong performance from her that, that we just keep getting used to, but um, we should probably still marvel at because any time you can finish in the top five or a top ten in a top-level tour event is, is remarkable. So she just continues to do outrageous things. But, yeah, this, this men's US Open has been a superb watch, and I love it when the best players in the world go to a golf course that just puts them through hell. Uh, and I, I, it's actually remarkable that I think it's Matt Patrick who, well, he does lead. I think he's on six under at the moment playing the last. Uh, you know, for someone who's six under around that course over four rounds is absurd, absolutely absurd. Uh, it has been such a brutal, tough test for these players and to see the best players in the world struggle, uh, I think is, is what got, maybe not week in, week out, but I think we need to see more of it in golf. Uh, it's fantastic to see them really put their games to the test. So I think they're coming down the last at the moment, Fitzpatrick with a one-shot lead, and then Zalatoris, who looks exactly like Happy Gilmore's caddy, uh, and the world number one, Scotty Scheffler, one-shot back. So, yeah, I'm I'm, remark- I'm, I'm uh, amazed that you managed to get me on this morning as well, but uh, here we are. I'm keeping an eye on it while I'm talking to you. Yeah, nice, mate, nice work. Uh, gentlemen, we've got the Warriors... Um, coming back home in a couple of weeks, the international breakers now, they lost 40-6 to to the Panthers and they only scored that six in the last 10 minutes of the game. Uh, my question to you, Jamie, 
It's given you know the uh, the historical uh, fandom of New Zealanders with the West Tigers because of people like Gary Freeman and that, that great team of the late 80s. How many orange and black jerseys versus how many Warriors jerseys do you think there'll be at that homecoming? Oh, there'll be plenty. But, I mean, to be fair, that's not any different to the way the Warriors have been in the past. The good thing about going to a Warriors game is that there's always pretty healthy support for teams like West Tigers or, or Bulldogs or Broncos or Manly uh, at the Warriors home games just because of the, um, you know, there, there are some of us out there who are old enough to uh, have been around when before the Warriors existed and so have the, uh, have, have the pleasure of being able to actually support other, t- other teams. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think there'll be a bit of support there. there. There might be a bit of support from jaded Warriors fans who maybe um, just want to hedge their bets a little bit because at the moment, like, well, I, I can't see them even winning that game. Um, but really, I think this week, if we're going to be talking rugby league, we've got a test match on. Uh, this week. Actually, two, two test matches. You know, we've got the Kiwi Ferns making their uh, return to international play um, since, the, since the COVID break. So that's going to be really... Fantastic, um, real reward for some players that have shown, you know, show real, real commitment, um, and have done it, done it pretty tough. Uh, a lot of them have gone and played in the NRLW, which was like a big, really big commitment. So, really, really looking forward to the, watching the Kiwi Ferns play. And then we've got a very, very good Kiwis team um, coming out. That you know, we, we've got a World Cup coming up for later in the year, and so this is going to be a real marker for them against, um, you know, Tongan side that's going to get some, some huge support at Mount Smart. So it's a really big couple of weeks for, for rugby league in the, in the country. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I want the Warriors to win. I want them to get a big, big crowd there, but it's just so, they've just made it so hard uh, to get excited about them in the, in the last sort of month or so. It's just been bad news story after bad news story. So I think that they can just, I think it's just such an, it, it, the one positive story out of it is that they've got this homecoming thing. So, just hopefully they can use it as a way to just kind of reset and, and, and make something out of the rest of the season before they have to go into an off-season, which will be the same old stories about finding coaches, finding players, um, and, you know, kind of drumming up interest in, you know, what I'm sure about in about February of next year we're going to be hearing about how this is our this is our year again uh, for Warriors fans. So they need to give a reason for people to start um, believing in that delusional fantasy. Yeah, I was going to say, it's, yeah, yeah, it's our year. It reminds me of that Tui billboard, you know, the year right. Uh, we used to we used to give Andrew Mulligan stick about it when every every time he said it was the Hurricanes year. Uh, but uh, but there you go. That's a, that's a whole other conversation, guy. Yeah, well, at least at least at least he got that one right once. Uh, yeah, well, true. He did. You know, what's 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 that old Chinese proverb? Even a broken watch is right twice a day. Um, yeah. <laughs> when it comes to Mills, uh, guy, we're going to see more Tigers jerseys or more Warriors jerseys on the homecoming. Oh, more Warriors jerseys in an absolute heartbeat. Look, this this will just show something remarkable that the Warriors have, despite how rubbish they are on the park and how much of a mess they are off the park, this team has the most unbelievable amount of support. And they will come home, whatever, I can't, what is their record? Record is whatever it is, atrocious. They keep losing, but they will come home. And granted, it's, it's a game that hasn't happened at Mount Smart for what? two years, more than two years. Um, so there's that element to it. But they will come home to, I would imagine, probably the best atmosphere we've had in New Zealand sport for that two years, possibly even longer. Uh, the place will be absolutely rocking. And to me, that is just remarkable that they are so rubbish on and off the park and they will come home and they'll have this remarkable crowd. And it will be a hell of a night. And 
Look, I, I, I think there is so much that needs to be done off the field. I think there's obviously so much that needs to be done on the field. I think they're a laughing stock, but I hope they get a win. Uh, I, I think that it would just be awesome to see them win a game in front of their home fans on their homecoming and see Mount Smart rocking again. I know it won't save their season, um, and it might not even save them going forward very much, but... Uh, yeah, I think that'd be awesome to see. Now, they're 4-11 and this season, and they have the worst defence in the competition. Uh, they have given up 53 more points than the next worst defence in the NRL, which uh, says something. Uh, gentlemen, just before I let you go, uh, something that FINA did today, which I found interesting, uh, FINA, the international swim body, Jamie, have uh, voted to restrict transgender athletes from competing in a, uh, elite women's events, but they have said they will create an open category at FINA events for transgender athletes to compete in. What's uh, your take on this? Oh, God, I was hoping we were going to run out of time before we got to this one. Um, <laughs> this, is, this is obviously an incredibly complicated issue that we're not going to be able to cover in, in the, the remaining time we've got. And it's something that really should be being a discussion that should be being led by the people who are most involved in it, which is transgender people and female sports sports people who compete at elite level sport and I'm not one of either of those categories but it's interesting though that you just mentioned that it's being framed up on one side as being a way of excluding transgender athletes uh, whereas FINA are saying it's actually the first step to including them and that's how confusing the whole thing is is that any sort of decision around this is going to cause some sort of argument um, to be honest I don't I don't know like how how this is gonna how this is gonna play out? I, I really couldn't tell you um, because uh, you know I like I said it, it, it's really hard to have a voice in this when you're not directly affected by it. But I think the one thing we should always keep in mind about this is this is really it gets sort of put under this category of transgender people in sports. Like it's it's not it's not that it's about trans women playing women's sports. And we should always keep that front of mind um, uh, when we when we talk about this sort of stuff because I think when we start talking about it in that sense, then we're going to get a hell of a lot closer to a definitive kind of answer or or, or opinion on it. So yeah, it, it's 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 a messy one. It's, it is a messy one, guy. Uh, I mean, I think Jamie summed that up pretty well, hasn't he? Yeah, he has. Uh, I'm going to be quick because I want to go and see the end of the golf. Um, <laughs> but, um, but uh, yeah, look, I think I think until we get the science bang on, I don't think it's fair to let them compete against um, against cis females. Um, so I think give it a few more years. And saying that, I think this is going to be the norm going forward. So uh, we need to get it right before it does happen. Uh, and I think FINA is doing it the right way at the moment. Yeah, good stuff. Well said, guys. Uh, thanks very much for your time. That has been the panel here on SENZ Mornings with Smithy. Uh, when we come back, we'll get to your calls and your texts. Double eight double three is the temper bedpost text machine. It's 10 away from 11 here on Mornings with Ian Smith. The news out of the Queensland State of Origin camp. Uh, Coach Billy Slater has made two changes for Game 2. Now, Xavier Coates went down injured in Game 1. He has been replaced uh, by 
North Queensland Cowboys winger uh, Murray Taulangi. He has come in for the game. And also Ruben Cotter, who played lock, the Cowboys player who played lock in that first Origin game. Uh, he tore his hamstring quite badly in the warm-up ahead of the Manly game. And he has been replaced by Jai Arrow out of the Rabbitohs. So just the two changes for the Maroons. I think it's been five for the Blues. We'll talk more with Vossi about that after 11 o'clock. Coming up next, though, it's a Love Racing update with Louis Herman Watt. It's four away from 11 o'clock here on Mornings with Smithy. Loveracing.nz for all your thoroughbred racing news, previews, reviews and more. Loveracing.nz, your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Uh, we're just uh, waiting to get uh, Louis Herman Watt up uh, to talk What's going on uh, from a thoroughbred racing a point of view? I can tell you there are a bunch of uh, races on today, a uh, bunch of meets, I should say, at the Ballarat Synthetic, uh, starting at around 3 over in Oz. Also, Carnarvon uh, from around 5.30. Newcastle get underway at about a quarter to 3 in Albury as well, just after 3 o'clock. Uh, Louis Herman Watt now joins us for our Love Racing.nz update. G'day, Louis. What are you looking at at the moment, mate? Uh, I'm looking at a piece of toast with avocado on it, a little bit of tomato, cracked some pepper on there. Um, Smashed avo on toast, mate. You are very Auckland. No, I don't know. I I kind of feel like avocados have been given a bad rap um, by associated with Auckland. Like, you know that? I know this is hard for Aucklanders to understand, but not everything is about Auckland. So other people around the country have eaten avocado prior. Interesting, interesting. Okay, mate. Uh, from a horse racing point of view, what have we got? What do we got, mate? For our, our love racing update. <laughs> All right. Um, uh, I tell you what we've got. We've got Chris Waller heading up to the UK to Royal Ascot, and he didn't dominate. But what he did is he stamped his mark on the industry internationally. Uh, we we've spoken about what Nature Strip did. Home Affairs didn't fire. Um, it's fair to say there were a few excuses for the Colt in the Platinum Jubilee. But I tell you what, Chris Waller, just taking his operation on the road, it's given him confidence. I've seen him say that a couple of times. It's given the international horse racing experts confidence that Australia and Chris Waller are as good as they have heard. And Artorias was the other Australian horse. There was a huge shout-out for the Friedman brothers that ran in the Platinum Jubilee. It was a hard luck story, to be honest. Michael Guerin tipping it out top five or even for a place on Saturday morning's mail run. And it flashed at them late, as it always tends to do. So, no, nah, a good week for the Aussies and Kiwis up at Royal Ascot. J-Mac, Chris Waller, the Freedmans, everyone involved. Congratulations, and it's great to see uh, Australasia flying the flag on the international stage. Yeah, good stuff, Louis. Thanks very much for coming on, mate. That is uh, loveracing.nz, your home for everything. Thoroughbred Racing. Uh, time to head over to Paulie Mawadi from the TAB. You can bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. G'day, Paulie. Uh, what's big for you guys today? Uh, well, congratulations. Matthew Fitzpatrick to win the US Open. Uh, I can see him on tally just lifting the trophy now. Uh, and there were quite a few of you who got on the Englishman, who of course won the 2013 US Amateur Champs at the very same course where he just won the US Open. Uh, during the tournament, he got out to uh, a, the biggest price, looks like $56 during the tournament. Uh, you could have got on a mat. Uh, I think he opened up at around 25 before the tournament started, so drifted slightly uh, during the tournament uh, and had a few hiccups uh, today. But in the end, uh, comes away with a one-shot uh, victory over Will Zalatoris, who had a birdie putt to force 
uh, forced a playoff and just missed it on the 72nd hole. So, yeah, well done to those punters who backed Matt Fitzpatrick to win the US Open. Good stuff, just Paulie. Just having a look. Thanks very oh, much, that mate. That's us, brother. That's us watching yeah, live on your favourite sports and racing at tab.co.nz. Please gamble responsibly. R18. Paulie, blame Louie and his avocado toast. there for Toto to score in the corner. Yo, straight down the centre. Isaiah Yo all the way. He found Martin. He just burrows hard and burrows over. Left, Johnson, Volkman, Walsh comes out to Cullen. The Warriors are over. Nifty from Jerome Luai. Skipping about and showing. What about that from Jerome Luai? What about the grandstand jump? Time. Penrith 40, the Warriors 6. Yeah, 40 to 6. That was the final score. Of course, you heard there the call from the man uh, who is the voice of rugby league, Andrew Voss. Uh, also, uh, breakfast on SEN Sydney joins us now. G'day, Vossi. How you doing? Uh, good morning, Ricardo. Listening to that back on, um, on from Saturday. I, I must say, I had a reflective moment, if I may say, at the top of the program today. I know it was disappointing and, and it has absolutely petered out the performance of the Warriors at the moment uh, to the point where you wonder where their next win is going to come from. But I think we are obliged from this side of the Tasman to say thank you um, to the Warriors for the sacrifice of the last couple of years. It's it's really hard to get your head around that you haven't had a home game since uh, August 2019. So thank you um, for the efforts of everyone involved with the club for um, keeping this competition going. I hate to think of what the alternative was going to be like. So the Warriors have played a bigger part than any club. And I can say that without uh, without any doubt at all. A bigger part than any club in keeping us running the last couple of years. Mm, yeah, I mean, there, there was every chance it was going to become the Wollongong Warriors there for a while, wasn't it? Wasn't it, Bossy? I mean, uh, that was kind of where it was going. But I can't help but feel a bit disappointed. I know they were playing the Panthers, but I felt mm. like we saw signs in Stacey's first game, particularly that opening uh, sort of half yep. of the first half, that the players looked like they wanted to play for the coach. They wanted to play for the jersey. They were they were making offloads. They were Sure, their defence was still not great, but they looked like they were doing more with the ball. It didn't feel like we saw that again this weekend. No, what baffled me was, uh, and we saw it maybe in the last... 10, 15 minutes, it was a different approach, a bit more aggressive and all the rest. But, yeah, Stacey Jones said in his, um, his pre-match interview on Fox League, you know, we, we've got to play football. Yeah, yeah, we've got to do all these other things, but we, we have to play some football. And so by that, I think if you're a Warrior scene, you think, oh, they're going to play you know, a few offloads. Well, there wasn't a forward who had an offload. Mm. Um, at one stage, yeah, I was quoting the offload numbers. I think Reese Walsh had three of the, at the three offloads the team had made. Um, so... If you're going to play a little bit of football, it has to come from a little bit of second phase stuff, doesn't it? Otherwise, Penrith just eat you up. They just, you know, absorb everything you do. I, I think, I, I can't speak on behalf of Warriors fans, so I'm, 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 I'm saying this is just an observation from me. But if you're going into a game against Penrith, then you're going to end up being beaten 40 points to six, just, you know, sticking to, you know, trying to complete sets and kicking that. Well, I'd rather lose by 50 and have a red-hot crack. You know, <laughs> I'd throw the ball around. That That's... That would be my thinking, that I'd want to do things a little different. And they did, they did that 
you know, ever so lightly. It, and it came late, you know, Chanel Harris-DeVita, the 40-20 to the sideline, a few things different. But for 65 minutes of the game, I don't know what the Warriors were thinking how they were going to ever come close to Penrith. Because Penrith, I'm telling you, are at 75% the other day. They're at 75% and win 40-6. to six. What does that say? What does that say, mate? I mean, I, I looked, uh, we were talking uh, last hour about the Warriors and their homecoming against the Tigers. And I looked at, I was looking at the table and looking at their for and against and thinking, they have got the worst defence in terms of points conceded in the competition yep. by 80, uh, by 53 points. They're 53 points worse than the Titans who are bottom. Yeah, uh, what can I say in response to that? And and you know that defence, I mean, it's cliched, but it's an attitude. You know, you look at the Cowboys. How can the Cowboys go from a defensive record last year to what they're doing this year? You know, that's been an extraordinary effort, albeit they considered 26 points the other night. But, um, you know, through the season, their second-half defensive stats have been quite incredible. They'd only had 16 points from second halves of their last nine games going into the other night. Um, so that that shows that things can be done, work hard. The Bulldogs the last couple of weeks, you know, they've mm. turned it around in both departments. So they have racked up 70 points the last two weeks and only conceded 16 from their last two games. And they were the wooden spooners just three weeks, uh, you know, in wooden spoon position just three weeks ago. So things can turn around, but I can't sit here today and say I see any signs of it. No, the I, Warriors. Sadly, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. And I mean, with this coach merry-go-round that it looks like we're going to get at some point, I did have a look at the dogs. Uh, actually, now that you mentioned that, uh, before Mick Potter took over, they were scoring an average of nine point six points a game in the NRL yep. under Trent Barrett. Yep. Now they're cons- now they're scoring about twenty seven points a game. Amazing. Is is he doing enough to get that job full time? Quite possibly. Um, <laughs> that that seems to be yeah the groundswell of opinion, but. You know, as uh, as Matty Johns put on my program over here this morning, you know, a, a new coach can sometimes step in and there's a bit of a sugar hit, and, and that could be how things pan out. I do think we do need to wait. But there is no question the Bulldogs are a far better side to watch um, under Mick Potter. And these, you know, they're, they're having a crack. They're having a go. They're doing things a little different. At the principle of it is running hard and tackling hard. I mean, that's obvious. You know, they, they, they have rolled up the sleeves, but there's just more creativity to try things. Um, they're finding a little bit of resilience. If you know if things don't come off, they don't drop their bundle and concede a try. That was certainly the case yesterday. It wasn't all you know, perfect, not by a long stretch. But you compare that to the Warriors, if something goes wrong, there just isn't that resilience. So it's just not there. So um, Mick Potter, does he get the job going forward? I'm waiting. I'm waiting. There's no hurry to a point, to a degree. I think you'd like to have your coach locked in by end of July. So I reckon five... Five or six more weeks of speculation we've got to last through here, Ricardo. And if Mick Potter's won half his games in that next five weeks, he puts himself as a puts himself up as a as a prime candidate. I think so. And it's interesting, you know, what Maddie said about the uh, the sugar hit because they actually lost their first three yeah, uh, under him, and now they've won the last two. But you could, if you just look at the scores and look at the performances, you can see the uh, the improvement. You can see you can track it, which is which is which is really interesting. Uh, oh yeah. If you're a Warriors fan, who do you want to be the Warriors coach when, when the 2023 season kicks off? Well, now I don't really know. I, I, look, I'm, I, I, think, I think there's all very capable coaches out there at the moment. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a rap on Shane Flanagan, um, you know, from a football point of view. I know he's got that, you know, he's, he served his time with the, with the problems he had off the field. Michael Maguire, I still have a, a, a high opinion of, but 
it's what the Warriors need right now. I think they need more than just the coach. I think they need a little bit of PR as well. And, and that's the circumstances of COVID the last couple of years and not having played. You know, I think they need they need a coach slash salesman yeah. <laughs> to, to come in. I mean, someone who can talk it up, who, who, who um, has a personality. I mean, someone like a Brad Fittler. Now, I'm not saying Freddie's the man for the Warriors, but I'm thinking that's the, the type it needs to be. I... I I don't think you just get by with um, with a. I'll say this in inverted commas, a boring coach. I think you need personality. I think someone who has that's going to obviously going to be under pressure and can talk it up and have people talking rugby league again. I think you need a personality as well as a coach. Yeah, no, I think that's fair, mate. That's fair. Hey, we've just had a text in, Fossey. I'd love to chuck uh, this your way. Uh, this is from Jamie. He said, uh, when are they going to clean up the eligibility laws? It seems players can play for state and Samoa yep. or Tonga, but not yep. state and New Zealand. Yeah, it, well, I, I'm glad... Um, I'm, I'm glad the New Zealand part of it exists, but at what point are we now going to recognise? What, what if Tonga... You know, this World Cup this year, if they make the final, is that it? Does that shut the door on any player being able to play for State and Tonga? Surely it does. Surely they become a Tier 1. If they make the top four at the world at this World Cup, Tonga, and maybe even make the final, and who knows, even chance of winning it, you can't keep them as Tier 2. They can't be seen as a fledgling nation on the you know, relatively small rugby league stage. So will that then rule out, um, let's say, you know, in, in real terms, like a Daniel Tupa. He can no longer play Origin because Tonga's a Tier 1. Um, it is a bit of a mess, isn't it? But mm. if we just gave a little more attention and a little more love to International Rugby League, we wouldn't be in this position because players would be picking um, to play for Tonga. There, there is no reason why we have just a one-off representative weekend here when the rest of the NRL is playing State of Origin. Why, why can't we have more tests around State of Origin time? Well, I, don't, the, I don't get it. The other question I think uh, Vossi has to be is why is uh, International Rugby League being dictated to by the country that's only ranked fourth in the world? <laughs> uh, yes, yes, thank you for that uh, comment. Uh, I uh, Look, I can't speak up on... I, well, I have no defence for the, the Kangaroos. I, I, I do think they treat International Rugby League with disdain because the origin is so big and the club competition is so big. The fact that the Kangaroos don't play the volume of matches each and every year. I know people will say, well, where are you going to put it into the, um, in, into the, into the roster and into the, you know, the calendar for the year? But surely playing for your country has got to be important. You've got to find a way. Mm. <laughs> You've got to, but the clubs won't cooperate. So you, you put it in the off-season... And the clubs put pressure on players to sit out time. You know, we've had that four nations there a few years back now. But, you know, it was almost a third string Australian side that was running around uh, because pressure the clubs had put on taking players away. I, I don't have the answers. I'm a frustrated lover of international rugby league. What I do know is that this weekend, as much as I love what's going to happen this weekend coming up, I, don't, I can't see why we can't have more. I, I can't see why on around Origin 1 and 3 why there can't be other international football played the same night. I mean, origin players are playing. Why can't, why can't test players be playing for New Zealand or playing for Tonga around those same times? Yeah, exactly, mate, exactly. Uh, I, I, have you managed to find an excuse to, to wing your way over here either for the, uh, for the Warriors homecoming or for the Kiwis-Tonga match so you can get a Fritz's wiener in? Well, I haven't. I'll tell you what I did see. I was at Brookvale the other day. I think I swear I saw a Fritz's wiener tent. At Brookfield. Can someone confirm that? Four Pines Buck, Manly's own ground? I didn't get a chance to go to it. 
um, was up at the commentary box, but I'm sure I saw the uh, signage. But anyway, someone can confirm that listening in from the uh, Fritz's Wiener um, Corporation. Um, but no, I am actually going across to Perth. So I am hosting a function. So I will be doing the flight over to Perth uh, this weekend for State of Origin number two. Um, so we'll be watching. And I'm calling on Saturday night. I am calling uh, Fiji and Papua New Guinea. So oh, that, that's my representative weekend sorted. Yeah, it sounds like a busy one, mate. What have you made of the uh, the changes to the State of Origin sides? Uh, do you think Freddie's kind of admitted he, he, he got something wrong? Staggered by the number, I must say the two squads, again, are very strong. Yeah, it's very exciting when you see the Queensland squad that's just been confirmed and New Zealand-born Murray Taolungi comes into the uh, into the Queensland squad and a recall for a couple of players in the squad, in the squad of 22. But the New South Wales to make seven changes. The thing I'm most perplexed by is that you have four players who were part of the 17 for Game 1 are now not part of the 22 for Game 2. Mm. I feel that's very harsh. You know, Ryan Madison... Regan Campbell-Gillard's had his best game for the season on Saturday night um, for Parramatta against the Roosters. That was a big game. And he's lost his spot. He, he can't even make the 22 now for New South Wales. Tony Stagg's gone. Tarek Sims is gone. I, you know, I, yes, you've got to win game too, but I, I, I thought... I didn't think there'd be as many changes. Obviously, they had to find someone for Jack Whiten, but I didn't think there'd be seven. I think that's, that's abnormally high turnover. Is it panic from Freddie? And, and if they'd lose game two or lose a series, is, is that his tenure, do you think, as a Blues coach? I'll say no to that one. Um, if they lose game two, I don't know where you go after you've made seven changes. Mm. <laughs> I really don't. You only lose by six and you make seven changes. Then what do you do for game three? I have no idea. Um, but, uh, no, I think Freddie stays there and, and Freddie is good. However... Freddie might be the one who has the say on that because he does want to coach at club level. So, he, and he can't do both. And at the moment, there could be potentially, you know, four or five jobs up for grabs. If you're going to jump into the coaching ranks, probably now's the time. So once the Origin Series is out of the way, get set to ramp it up. Speculation, Brad Fittler, NRL coach again. Um, he, he doesn't like speculation from his players off contract into origin camp. He doesn't like them bringing that baggage in. So he certainly wasn't going to bring that in. But the moment the series is over, we're going to find out exactly how serious Freddie is about coaching NRL again. And then he would become a real contender for a few clubs. It's interesting to see what he's done. Some of the players he has brought in. I mean, the, the Matt Burton thing is interesting for me because it looks very much like that grand final winning Panthers combination of yep. Yo, Cleary, uh, and you've got, you know, have Coruscant on the left. and Luai on the left, and then, and now, Bur- and, <laughs> yeah, and Burton playing. The, he's just gone, hang on, I'm just going to select the team that won the grand final last year. That'll win me this Origin game. Yeah, get me, get, get the band back together. Burton, you know, you've got to remind yourself, has not played a game in the centres this year. So his last game in the centres was the grand final. He's one of the best players on the field. So he will be starting left centre. No question of that at all. And Jerome Luai is going to be squirting, uh, uh, squirting, is going to be, you know, moving over. I don't know what I was trying to say there. But he's going to be going <laughs> over to the left-hand side and looking to link up with his man. I tell you what's the interesting aspect is Burton, um, the kicking game of Burton, how you bring a centre into your general play kicking. Because I think New South Wales would be mad not to use Burton um, as a kicker. You won't take as many as Cleary, but why wouldn't you put up? You reckon Kalen Ponga's not shaking a little about, hang on, they picked Burton. Wow. You know, like the his kicks are scary. And, you know, a few more victims he claimed yesterday against the Tigers. 
So Burton's kicking game comes into origin. I just don't know, you know, the, if you bring him to centre field, well, you know it's going to go his way. But that, that could be a weapon for New South Wales. You know, one high ball that pulls off, you know, a mistake from Queensland could be, might be the difference between winning and losing for all you know. And the selection of Coruscant, obviously Cook is in there as well, but he, he's obviously challenging Cook for that starting position. But it, it feels like if Coruscant's 14th man, maybe Freddie's looked at what Billy Slater's done with Ben Hunt and, and Harry Grant, and, and he's, he's picked mm. something up from there. And he's going to have possibly you know two dummy halves, two guys who, who run support lines and have them either side of the ruck at the same time. Yeah, would he have them both on the field at the same time? I, look, I don't think he's done it to copy Queensland, but I think he's given himself that, um, you know, that, that, ep, that extra bit. And again, around combinations, to have all those Penrith players there, um, then, then throw Coruscant in as well. So in a match you have to win, I think you have to pick a side, and I don't like to be negative, but you, you probably got to pick a side that what if we're 12 down? Like we're absolutely desperate. I need aces in my pack to come off the bench. And those aces could be Abby Coruscant. It could be Sifatalakai, you know, like an absolute wildcard. Bring him on to uh, to bust them wide open and to have that option of the Matt Burton kicking in this side for game two. So, you know, this is a win-at-all-costs side. We cannot afford to lose. We can't just defend and hope to win. We, we might have to score going into this game thinking we've got to score at least... Yeah, you know, twenty four points or more. Yeah, yeah. Well, exactly. I mean, and they, and they may well have to as well. It's going to be interesting to see uh, what the supports like in Perth for either side. Hey, just before we let you go, Vossi, Dean has texted through, uh, circling back to the Warriors coach idea. He said the Warriors need Des Hasler. All the dressing shed doors would be nervous, <laughs> and hopefully, he puts the boot into the owner as well. Uh, Des Hasler. Wow. That's an interesting one as well. You know, there's there's lots of moving parts. I don't think Des is going to move away from the northern beaches. Um, no, you won't get Des. But if I look across the board and said, is there a coach there uh, that might end up there that's coaching at the moment? I'm moving down quickly. Kevy Walters won't be moving over there. Um, of the current crop. Brad Arthur, if Parramatta pulled up short, would Brad Arthur go over there? You know, do they, mm. do they keep going with Brad? Um, Ricky Stewart, a Ricky Stewart type. See, there's your salesman. Now, I'm not saying Ricky's going to go over there, but he's the one who would get all the attention in the media, be a great interview week in, week out. You'd know when the Warriors are playing if someone like a Ricky Stewart was coaching your, your team. So I'm, I'm trying for you. I just don't have an answer. What? I'll probably have a short list of about 12 for you by this time next week. I tell you, a guy whose name has slipped off the, off the radar who could do the sales job and we'll give you a quote every week is the old, I demand an investigation from <laughs> Jeff, Jeff Toovey. Where's he been? Why's he it. not got a coaching Love job? Love it. And has a percentage, you know, a win percentage of well over 50%, which can't be said the same of some other contenders as well. No, I, I think Jeff's got plenty. I love talking footy with Jeff. And... Um, He's more than just that investigation line. He is a smart footballer, and we know how tough he was as a player. So, you know, that's a good mix if he could instill that. Yep, no, he's on the short list. Okay, I'm up to 13 now. Good good stuff, Vossie. Thanks for your time today, mate. Go well, uh, safe travels to Perth, and enjoy your calls this weekend, eh? Yeah, will do. Oh, can't wait. Can't wait. Going to soak up every single second of it. I'm a lover of international and representative football, so this is like Christmas this weekend. Mate, enjoy. I I hope he leaves plenty under your tree. Thank you.
Cheers. Andrew Voss there with us out of SEN Sydney talking rugby league. Thanks for all your texts as well coming through while we had Vossi on and your texts that we had when Marshy was on as well. Uh, a few of those we didn't get to. I'm going to read some of them out. I know we don't have Marshy on with us now, but maybe we can get some feedback going and get some calls going on this and maybe we can get some uh, uh, some listeners who are listening to the show that maybe have played prop to answer some of the questions I've had about front rows as well. We'll do that next here on SENZ Mornings with Smithy. It's 11.28 here on Mornings uh, with Smithy. And this, uh, come, this message come through. Razor to coach the Warriors. It ticks all the boxes from Simon. I don't know how, how, how that would work, but uh, thanks uh, for that one anyway, mate. I uh, have had a few uh, texts come through uh, when we had Marshawn that I, I thought was interesting. This one came through from GD. How concerning is the selection of the three Blues props for All Blacks after they were demolished by the Crusaders' youngsters? Do you feel that the Blues props can match it with the Irish, or do you think we may need, uh, see changes in that department for the Rugby Championship? It's an interesting one, GD, because uh, there was some talk about that with Ethan DeGroote, the Highlanders, in that quarterfinal. Uh, I thought they went pretty well against the Brumbies, though. Uh, did get found out a bit against uh, the Crusaders, although... It's not just the props. You know, the engine room is the second row as well, and it feels to me like the Blues' lock, uh, locking depth may have caught up with them there. Uh, I mean, I am a big Tom Robinson fan, but he's definitely a six who can play lock versus the other way around. Um, so I think that might have had something to do with it, but can you get your thoughts, double eight, double three, on that one? Uh, also... Uh, this one, hi Marshy. How do you see the AB's trio, loose trio lining up with the injuries? I see it Papali at six, Kane at seven, Satutu at eight. Would you say Barrett is uh, had a solid good game with what he was given? Mwanga had was given a platform to play with, and he didn't create much. Yeah, that's no, probably fair. I think uh, with the loose trio, one thing that Marshy and I talked about yesterday on the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run is how they need, the All Blacks need to stop selecting players outside of their best position. So if you're a seven, you get selected as a seven. If you're a six, you get selected as a six. Not try and jandle. More play, you know, say Adi Savia at eight, for example, uh, Don Papali at seven, and uh, Kane at, uh, sorry, Don Papali at six and Kane at seven type thing. I know Marsh is very big on you play your position. So he wants an eight at eight. He doesn't think Adi Savia is an eight, not against the bigger sides, the French, the uh, South Africans, the English, even the Irish. So I doubt he would agree with Papali at six. I think you'll probably see um, Adi Savia, sorry, not Adi Savia, uh, Akira Yuani at six, uh, probably Hoskins, Satutu or Peter Gusto Akula at eight, and then Sam Kane because he's the captain at seven. I think that's probably the way that is going to go, but it'll be interesting to see what happens come that first test against the Irish. It's uh, just gone 11.30. We're going to head off to News and Sport with Araha shortly, but it is also time for Stumped with Smithy. Uh, if you want to be stumped, uh, stumped by Smithy, I should say, if you want to be stumped by Smithy, give us a call now, 0800 150 811, 0800 150 811, a $50 TAB bonus bet and sleep drops 2B1. Call us, we're going to do that right after the latest with news and sport with Araha, which is right now. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Yes, it is that time of morning on SNZ Mornings. It's stumped, and the person who's really picked up the ball coming off the bench this morning has been Ricardo Ball. Thanks for uh, answering the call, mate. Yeah, I got the call at about, uh, must have been about 6.30, quarter to 7. 
I think I got the call from uh, from the boss man, Rube, saying, uh, Smitty's down with a bug. Can you come in? So uh, had to change a few things around this morning, but we got in, mate, and got it done. Ultimate team player, mate. Ultimate team player. Up for grabs today is a $50 TAB bonus bet plus some sleep drops. Daytime Revive. They are New Zealand's only specialist range of sleep and stress support supplements. Joining us first at the crease for the chance to win those prizes is Rob. Come in, Rob. Hey, boys. How are we? You good, mate. Yourself? Good, thanks, Ricardo. We Have you played stump before? I don't... No, man. No, I don't even know um, what I have to do. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. I was thinking I have to answer some questions. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> All right. So before we get into that, I'll run you through how the game works, just so you you know you're on an even playing field here. We've got three categories to choose from today. If you get a question wrong, then it's going to be over to Ricardo for a chance to knock your bales off and stump you. If he gets it right, you're stumped and you're gone back to the pavilion. Uh, if he gets it wrong, onto uh, the second question, and within those first two questions, if it's onto that next caller in line. Get dismissed on the final question, and we will jackpot tomorrow. Now, Rob, your questions, are, well, your topics today are rugby, rugby league, and the Stanley Cup. Take your pick. Probably pretty dangerous against Ricardo, but I'm going to go for rugby league, please, mate. Oh, I love the confidence, mate. All the best for your first go on Stumped. Cheers. Although, has to be said, Ricardo was a punishing Parramatta fan. So. <laughs> All right. So, first question for you, mate. The Kiwis' widest squad uh, was named last week to for the Tonga Test. How many new faces are in that 25-man squad? Okay, this is a bit of a stab, but um, after the NRL chat, I'm going to run with eight. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Yeah, because this is your first time, that does mean you got it right, mate. It is, there is eight. Eight new faces. <laughs> uh, looking forward to seeing Dylan Brown uh, suit up for the Kiwis, yeah, actually, man. Rob. Uh, and I thought it was a great call, a brave call, but a great call. No Sean Johnson. <laughs> yeah, too right. Yeah, oh. he should barely be starting for the Warriors, to be honest, mate. Yeah. There it is. All right, and it leads very nicely on to the second question here, Rob. How many Warriors are in that Kiwi squad? Oh, I'm pretty sure it's only Dallin with Tenny's Lesniak. I'm going to go one. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot. Nicely done. Nicely done. For the record, uh, Ricardo, you, I'm never giving you the answer, mate. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. I was holding up one finger when you asked that question, Rob. I was holding up one finger, Logan. It's, it's one, isn't it? It's one. I'm sure it's one. And I held my yeah. poker face, just so you know, Rob. <laughs> I'm on your side here. Last question. For your first time on Stumped, everything is still up for grabs. The Kiwis have played Tonga a total of six times to date. How many games have the Tongans won? I think that's one as well. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Nicely played, Rob. Nicely played. You three love from to three. see it. You love to see it. That is right. One in the 2017 World Cup. Final score there was 28-22. Nice. Could have slipped in, Ricardo. I could have, mate. <laughs> I might as well have, by the sounds of things, mate. But uh, three from three. Well done. You got a $50 TAB bonus bet and some sleep drops as well. Uh, have you got any idea what you might want to put your bet on? I mean, are you a league man? Is that why you chose league? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
definitely love my league. Rugby who's, league. Who's your team? Who do I think? Oh, so do I just um, roll the dice now and have my... Oh, um, no, not at all. No, no, sorry, I was asking who your team is. I mean, you sound like... Oh, you, you, oh, you, oh sorry, you, yeah, yeah. I'm a big Tragic Waz fan, mate, heading up <laughs> for the homecoming. I live down in Gore and um, booked my tickets pretty much when they went on sale and we've lost every game since. So uh, <laughs> looking forward to the wooden spoon battle against the Tigers. Mate, you sound like me. I bought my tickets for that game uh, as soon as they went on sale as well. So I might even see you there. <laughs> Logan's, Logan's yeah, been tempted good. to put his on Trade Me and just buy tickets to the Kiwis Tonga game. I might still go. I might still go. Uh, congrats, Rob. First time winner. That is freaking awesome. Hold the line and uh, our man Robbie will get you details. Champion. Thank you. Go well, mate. And, uh, yeah, good luck with that $50 uh, TAB bonus bet as well, mate. Hopefully that uh, can can pay for a few beers when you head up for the uh, wooden spoon clash with the Tigers for the uh, for the old Warriors. This is Mornings with Smithy on SENZ, 21 away from midday. It's the champion of the 122nd United States Open. With a score of 274, the Jack Nicklaus gold medal for the winner of the 122nd US Open goes to Matt Fitzpatrick of England. Well, sometimes you hit a big shot in a big moment, and they talk about it forever. I think that's going to be called the Fitzpatrick Bunker down there now. <laughs> Tell us about the shot at 18 out of the bunker with your second. I'll be brutally honest. You know, me and Billy spent a couple times, well, quite a while, talking about the 18th tee shot, undecided. I hit three wood today into the bunker. And um, if there was one shot that I've struggled with this year that I just do not want, it's a fairway bunker shot. <laughs> and... Uh, I don't know, I guess sort of ability just took over and um, yeah, it's one of the best shots of it all, of all time. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. When I saw it leave the sand and I felt the strike, I was, yeah, couldn't, couldn't be happier. So there you go, that is the US Open and uh, it is all done and Matt Fitzpatrick wins it six under. Scotty Scheffler and Will Zalatoris tied second at five under. And uh, Logan, you were watching this. I missed it because I think I was in mid-interview with someone, but uh, Zalatoris had an opportunity to take this to a playoff. He did, he did. Uh, there on the 18th hole, he was on five under, could have gone for uh, six under. He was putting for birdie, Totally missed it. And you could just see the late. Well, I mean, it was almost like the word finally got to uh, Fitzpatrick, and he was just like, whoa. Like, and that's his first major win as well. So that's pretty epic. And, you know, he's had an awesome weekend. For the best tweet I've seen about this, Ricardo, this is from BetMGM. This is like if the TAB was uh, putting out sass like this. Matt Fitzpatrick with the greatest of British authority, with the greatest show of British authority in Massachusetts since. The Intolerable Acts. Now, if you don't know your history, this is a series of punitive laws passed by the British Parliament in 1774 after the Boston Tea Party. Yeah. So that is going way, way back. But huge congratulations to uh, Matt Fitzpatrick there. That's the sort of action you'd get if Paul Mawadi was in charge of the TAB social media. That's, that's, <laughs> what, that's what that is. A, uh, speaking of golf, actually, Lydia Coe. Um, finished fourth, outright fourth, with 17 under in the latest LPGA uh, Tour event, the Maya LPGA Classic. So uh, Jennifer Caputo, uh, Leona Maguire and Nelly Corder were tied first and went to a playoff, and Capucho won 
the uh, the playoffs. So she's won Maguire and quarter tied second, and then Co outright fourth at seventeen hundred. She was just one shot off making the playoffs herself. So Lydia Co in some pretty good form as well at the moment. Uh, text through here from Jimmy. Uh, agree, Ricardo Robinson is a six playing lock. Every All Blacks team should have a mandatory ginger or at least a skinger, someone in there as well. That's from Jimmy. Thank you, Jimmy. Well, I, I guess they do have uh, the uh, uh, the Blues halfback, don't they? Finlay Christie. He's, he's definitely ginge. So I think he, he, he ticks that box, uh, Jimmy. Um, Logan? Yeah, uh, speaking of that, uh, I've got, I don't know if Manaya is listening, Manaya from the run home, but uh, I've got a friend in the States in LA who loves listening to SNZ and gives a shout out to how easy it is uh, to listen to the station overseas, I guess, you know, on the website or on the app. Yeah. And uh, one, a couple of weeks ago, I was given a Stanley Cup update on the run home and Manaya says the New York Rangers, not, <laughs> not the Rangers, the Rangers. Uh, apparently, my mate laughed so hard he almost crashed on the freeway. <laughs> the Rangers, the Rangers. I reckon uh, New York should officially change their name um, and have a redhead mascot. The Rangers. That would be that would be superb. Hey, uh, we've got uh, a few more texts here uh, that we should get to as well. Um, morning, gents. I have supported Canterbury and the Crusaders for forty-five years. So Saturday night was sweet. Please tell me why Bryn Hall has never been mentioned in All Black Talks. That's from Merkin in Sydney. That's a really good question, um, and I wish I had an answer for you. Well, I can tell you the reason he's not in the latest All Blacks is because he's off to play in Japan now. So he is done. His contract with the Crusaders is done. I don't think he is back. I don't think this is a sabbatical. I think he's just gone. Um, so that will be the end of Bryn Hall. He was often in the Māori All Blacks. Uh, but didn't seem to be able to quite transition and get in front of uh, TJ Pedernada or Aaron Smith. So, uh, Merkin, thanks for your text as well. Uh, morning, guys. Not so many questions about the back line, but a huge question mark over the front row. Outplayed hands down and have been for a while. Richie Mwanga was outstanding and must be the first choice. AB's 10. Bowden Barrett to the bench or fullback. We're looking forward to that first starting lineup. Cheers, Brian. Yeah, I think... I think we are, mate, and I don't. I doubt they'll play Bowden at fullback. Um, he'll he'll either be ten or the bench, uh, and the same with Richie Mwanga because I think Geordie is nailed on to be fullback. To be honest, and uh, lastly, this one here from Kurt. Morning. I thought the Crusaders forwards were awesome, but Bryn Hall was outstanding. Great link between the forwards and the backs, and shows you behind a dominant forward pack, most of New Zealand halfbacks are pretty similar. Yep, I th- I think so. I think uh, Bryn has had an outstanding season actually, to be fair, uh, and wish him all the best of luck when he heads to Japan. It is 10 away from midday, after midday, of course, at his afternoons with Staffy. Staff's been away for a couple of weeks. We'll catch up with him and get an update from his adventures on the super yacht next. It is five away from midday here on SENZ. Uh, mornings with Smithy Smithy, hopefully back for you tomorrow. A man who is back after two weeks, sunning himself on the uh, on a, on his super yacht. Uh, SEN's answer to George Clooney. Mark Stafford joins us. How are you, mate? Oh, HMSNZ Manawatu, the super yacht <laughs> cruising the beautiful Manawatu River. Oh yeah, yeah, it was magnificent. How uh, you, you had a good couple of weeks off, mate? Recharge the batteries. Yeah, look, I did, and uh, I think everyone would sort of agree when you have some time off it takes about a week to depressurize mm-hmm. before you can actually fully feel rela- I I was to script then I had four amazing relaxing days and then you say three days to work two days to work one day to work <laughs> you the, start the wrapping back up again yeah but no I've been looking forward to coming back mate um, it's amazing you miss your listeners 
you know, and I do. I didn't think I would. But hey, listeners, I missed you. I miss, yeah. I miss the banter. I miss the chats. We were down at the Fox on Friday, uh, broadcasting live from there from midday. So I did your show from there, and then uh, the run home came in and did their show. And Zaid turned up. Yeah, so Zaid I saw came the in and had, had, had a bit of a chat. And He's had a, a rooster. He's a great rooster, Zaid. Yeah, Zaid. I tell you what, Zaid isn't a fan of. Scott Robertson's breakdancing hates it. Really? Yeah. And I don't get it. I mean, like, you know, and I'm not having a crack at Zade here because he's not the only one that's had a crack at Scott Robertson. But I'm like, the bloke has coached his butt off all season. Mm. They've got to win against the team that's been the most dominant team in the in the competition in the final, away from home, and absolutely dominated them. He blows off a bit of steam and celebrates. Yeah. What's, I think what's the deal? He's doing it for his team. Yeah. He's not doing it for us at home. He's doing it for his team. You watch... While he's dancing, watch around the circle and how much they just absolutely love it. He's dropped his guard. He's one of the lads. I don't mind it. I, I think in his heart of hearts he'd prefer not to do it. Yeah. But it's become a tradition. Traditions live on. I th- I, the only thing that I would say is get some new moves because we've seen it a few times well, now. Well, someone, uh, someone said he did introduce that little cross-step thing. That, oh, was, yeah. that was a new move. Was that new? It's was called that? a checker step or some step. Uh, okay. Yeah, that was new, but... I'm no breakdancing official. Well, I do wonder now that he's won five uh, Super Rugby titles back to back to back to back, uh, whether or not he might, um, you know, talk to New Zealand Rugby and say, can I have a sabbatical? Mm. Breakdancing is at the 2024 Olympic Games. Yep. I want to have Hit a crack it. at being a dual international. Hit it. The over 40s yeah. sector of the Olympics. Like Sam Hewitt, he was actually the Waikato breakdancing champion in his second last year at school. Was he? Yeah. And um, he rates Scott Robertson with his age that yeah. he actually pulls out some good moves. Yeah, well, that's interesting. What, what Do we know what uh, Sam Hewitt uh, uh, dominated with back in the day as a, as a breakdancer? What were your moves that you dominated with, Sam? I think he was into the inverse centipede or something. He was there. What, was your, <clears> what was your go-to move, Sam? Uh, it was called the uh, rock, paper, scissors. Right. And um, obviously not with your hands, doing it with your legs. Oh, okay. <laughs> Interesting. Look, I'm disappointed in Razor as well, though, Ricardo. We spoke about that last week about um, the need for some new moves because that was atrocious, Razor. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm actually on the sort of over 60s um, sort of camp of, of just get it out of the game. Yeah, get okay. it out of the game. If you're going to do that, if you're going to do it like that, get it out of the game. Get it out of the game. Yellow yeah. card him. Uh, well, going back to, to your breakdancing prowess days, actually, um, what then is your take from the Poirier music video of the guy that used to do the head spins and that? I mean, uh, how the, do you rate that? With the gloves. Yeah. yeah. With the gloves. Um, eight out of ten. Probably. Eight out of ten. Okay. Yeah. Oh, um, Potentially ahead of his time. I was just going to say, yeah, ahead of his time maybe. Um, yeah, maybe he just needed to wait for it to be in the Olympics and he would have been away running. Yeah, okay. Well, that's good to hear. Now, gentlemen, uh, we have about a minute and a half before we uh, we hit your show. Uh, what is coming up this afternoon between midday and four? Midday madness. Mm. Um, we, we won't let Super Rugby go. I mean, it's still reasonably fresh in my mind. I've got a few things to say about it, yep. about the selections and have they got it right and uh, if they could re-choose the team, what would happen. Uh, so, yeah, looking forward, looking forward to chatting to the people, chatting to the people. Talk to Tony Johnson as well, Matty White across the ditch. Uh, Row Edge on this swimming uh, situation yep. with, with the transgender stuff. We'll have what happens next. We'll have show me the money. We've got all that. And we're going to talk to, um, <laughs> you've put here Dave Gerard from Majestic Horse Floats. We're talking to the CEO of Majestic Horse Floats. Yeah. And what goes into carting our thoroughbreds round the country? Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. We have had a text through. Maybe you can kick off your midday madness with this one. Because this will fire up a few Crusaders fans. This text, no name on it, but 
Unfortunately, Richie Mwanga is an inverse nonu. Great at super level, but hopeless in a black jersey. I bang wish on. it wasn't Agreed. so. Agreed. Bang on. Agreed. Oh, there you go. Fire up. 0800 Midday Madness coming up next with Staff. He's back. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 91.